This episode is brought to you by Grasshopper Climbing. One of the best things I ever did for my own climbing was to build a climbing wall in my garage. It was so easy to stick to a consistent training schedule when I had that thing, and I always had really high-quality sessions on my own wall without any distractions, and I got super strong the two winters that I climbed on that board. But it's a ton of work. First, you have to design a home wall, then you have to build it, then you have to decide which holds you want and order tons of holds and bolts. And then you have to set all of the boulder problems and routes. I'm guessing that most of you don't have time to do that. Luckily, the folks at Grasshopper Climbing designed the perfect solution. The Grasshopper board was designed to give you an entire climbing gym experience right in your home. And the best part, they did such a good job with the hold shaping and layout that the Grasshopper board will be right for you whether you are a beginner or you climb V15. It's so efficient, it's so good for training, and most importantly, it's so much fun to climb on. But don't take my word for it because the folks at Grasshopper just want you to try it out and see for yourself. If you want to learn more, head over to grasshopperclimbing.com or check them out on Instagram at grasshopperclimbing. Check out their boards and reach out to their sales team to see which board solution is right for you. And be sure to tell them I sent you because the folks at Grasshopper are offering you guys, listeners to this podcast, $500 off when you order a fully kitted out eight by 10 foot grasshopper board. That's their smallest board or even more than $500 if you upgrade to a larger board. Again, that's grasshopperclimbing.com to check out the grasshopper board. This episode is also brought to you by Shortform. Shortform gives you the highest quality book summaries in the world. Shortform summaries contain the book's key ideas, have interactive exercises, and add smart insights and analyses to the book's summary. I love to read, and I think reading is super important. And for sure, nothing can substitute sitting down and actually reading a great book cover to cover. The reason I love Shortform is because it essentially gives you the nuggets from today's top books. How many times have you read an amazing book, learned things that blew your mind, only to forget them a handful of weeks later because you didn't take any notes? I have definitely done that. Short form helps you remember the key lessons from books you've read, as well as discover new books you need to read. Short form summaries are written by professional authors, PhDs, and Ivy League graduates, so you can trust in writer quality. So join Shortform today and join thousands of curious readers to get smarter faster. Head over to shortform.com slash nugget to join Shortform for a five-day free trial and 20% off your annual subscription. That's five days of unlimited access for free and 20% off your annual subscription by going to shortform.com slash nugget or by clicking the link below in your podcast app. Learn faster, get smarter with Shortform. And finally, this episode is brought to you by Rhino Skin Solutions, my go-to when it comes to taking care of my skin. Here's the deal. It's September. Finally, we're coming into crisp fall temperatures here in the Northern Hemisphere, but it's still hot a lot of the time. And if you're like me and you're trying to get outside and rock climb, sweaty hands are often a factor in your performance. Luckily for us, my pal Justin Brown, the founder of Rhino Skin Solutions, has a solution. Rhino's line of antiperspirant products are a game changer when it comes to climbing in warm or humid conditions, especially if you have sweaty skin like I do. Check out the performance cream, 
dry spray, and tip juice to keep your hands dry as you tackle your September projects. And check out my episode with Justin way back in episode 22 of The Nugget to learn how to use them and how to take great care of your skin for whatever type of climbing you love to do and want to do this fall. Head over to rhinoskinsolutions.com and enter code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next order of Rhino's antiperspirant products. Stock up on performance cream, dry spray, and tip juice, and keep your skin dry and happy in this September heat. Once again, that's rhinoskinsolutions.com. Use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next order. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt, and my guest today is Sam Van Boxtel. Sam is a social media expert and the founder of Climbers Crag. Climbers Crag is a social media agency helping climbing businesses grow on social media platforms. And to give you guys an idea of who Sam is and how successful Climbers Crag is as a business, I'm going to read a few stats from his website. First up is Instagram. Climbers Crag grew to 300,000 followers in less than a year. On YouTube, they grew from zero to the second most viewed climbing channel in 10 months. On TikTok, they grew from zero to 60,000 plus followers in three months back in 2021. And they created one of the largest climbing Facebook groups with 20,000 plus members. That gives you an idea of Sam's credentials and his expertise as far as social media goes. And yeah, this was a really different conversation. We didn't talk too much about climbing except to cover some of Sam's background. But Really, this conversation was just a deep dive into social media, and we really got into Instagram in particular. Sam believes that Instagram is the best platform for the climbing industry right now, and he shared a lot of his best practices for how to optimize for growth, how to create value for your audience, and much more. So if you're listening to this, if you're a content creator or a climbing coach or someone else in the industry or someone with a small business, and you're curious about social media, you use it and you want to get better at it, or you've thought about using it, or you've thought about branching out into some of these different platforms, I think you'll find this conversation very, very helpful. I certainly did. He gave me a lot of really helpful tips for how to grow my own following on Instagram and what sorts of things to focus on. And if you're just a climber and just enjoy using Instagram and posting videos and things like that, I think you'll probably find something in this conversation interesting as well. And with that, we'll dive in. I hope you guys enjoy this deep dive into social media with Sam Van Boxtel. I was just thinking about, I was on the, I was taking a little walk because I was trying to decompress after meetings this morning. Um, and I was like, I'm not going to be the one that's late, like all the other clients. <laughs> like, no, it's totally fine. I am a climber. It, yeah, yeah, you are exactly. It's just like it's culturally appropriate. Two minutes late is just normal for for climbers. It feels weird to not have a prep list on my side where I'm ready for the meeting. Be like, all right, here's our agenda. As like my team makes fun of me that I always have notes. Otherwise. Otherwise, it just isn't efficient. It's like, right. I always feel nervous when I go into a call and I'm like, I have no notes. I have no idea what's about to happen. 
Totally. So. No, I've I've done a few interviews on the other side of the microphone and um, I know exactly what you mean. It's unnerving. You're like, what's what's going to come at me? But I mean, you and I have talked about this. You know exactly what we're going to be talking about. But um, yeah. yeah, you strike me as someone who you're very organized. Every conversation that we've had so far, it's, you know, everything is scheduled. You have a plan. We have talking points, things like that. And it's actually different. Like I probably seem like I am that way. You know, I have an engineering background and, and things like that, but I do a lot of things surprisingly kind of off the cuff, you know? Uh, I'm kind of a weird hybrid, I guess, in that way. You seem very, like, regimented. See, I I go in phases of how I think about myself. Sometimes I, I would consider myself just organized enough to not be a mess. It's honestly how I see it. I think other people think... Because there's some things you'll see, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that wasn't important, so it didn't get organized at all. Like yeah. some like folders and stuff. Like I'm not like a top down. Everything's in place, but no, like things like calendar. It's not on the calendar. I've just missed enough things. Mm-hmm. I feel like everything has come from a lesson. Like don't send the Zoom link. I've had someone who missed missed calls because the link wasn't there. I was like, really? Mm-hmm. But the link wasn't there, so now the link's always there. And it was an event, so they didn't. So everything I feel like has been oh, it went wrong. And now from then on, <laughs> I always use a calendar event. I always use the link there. I don't know. Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, I can relate to that. It's like, it's my life is very compartmentalized as far as organization and structure goes. Like certain things that I care a lot about that need it, have it. Other things just, nope, just kind of winging it in a sense. Um, Like I don't have a checklist, you know, like I have, I have notes in front of me. I prepared for this conversation, but I don't have an interview checklist of, you know, did I reach out to Sam? Did I schedule? Did I send him the link? All this stuff. And you would think that I would have that because a lot of podcasters do and I can see the value in it. And I just kind of hold all that stuff in my head. You know, like, did he send me photos to use to publish the episode? But it works. I don't know. I don't, somehow that... I think, I think you'd be surprised though. It might take a weight off that you don't realize is there. That's a lot of organizational things. When mm. I put them in place, I go, oh, I feel 10% better. Mm. And yes, I could have kept doing that. But at some point, Tom will always remind me, Tom Randall, he'll always remind me, like, it feels fine now, but at some point, you're going to wish you had put it in place because you're going to have 10 times that amount of whatever the input is of tracking something or scheduling calls or having a process. Yeah. So that's fascinating. We should talk about that more later because he, like, maybe more than anyone else in this industry, I am blown away by Tom Randall. I do not, I mean, as a climber, he's amazing, obviously, but. The number of things he has his hands in, I just can't imagine it. I can't imagine keeping track of it all. I, I have no idea how he is as productive and prolific as he is. It's crazy. Yeah, and I wouldn't say, and I would say he's a lot like what you described. He's organized enough. I don't, I, I don't see him, and he doesn't have like three assistants behind the scene setting up the counter. Like he's, he's making it all work, which is almost just as impressive. Right, as having your system. So, yeah. Interesting. Life with Tom Randall, definitely. That'd be, that'd be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, man. Well, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm recording over on my end. Are you feeling good? Yeah, I'm just chilling. Okay, great. Well, I think we should start with an overview of this conversation for people that are tuning in, giving this a try. They haven't heard of you and they don't know what to expect from this conversation uh, because it is a little bit different from what I typically do on the show, talking more about performance climbing and things uh, peripheral to that. We're going to be diving into social media platforms because you are the expert of growing and managing social media platforms. 
and it's it's relevant to pro climbers it's relevant to so many people in this industry and it's just interesting you know like we all are addicted to these tools and pretty much everyone i know that uses instagram wants to grow just because they think that would be fun you know so um yeah i have a few bullet points in front of me as far as this conversation goes first off I'll go through the list and then we can dive into an introduction to you. I think we'll start with an intro to Sam, who Sam is and how you got into Climbers Crag and this whole thing. Uh, we'll talk about tips for growing different platforms. Um, I'm curious how the strategies differ between Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, etc. Which of these platforms you think are worth investing energy into for what types of people, what types of businesses, things like that what new platforms are popping up, which ones you think have staying power versus which ones are falling off, tips for pro climbers and people in the industry, brands that want to use their social media platforms better and work with ambassadors, things like that. And then I definitely have some self-serving questions for the nugget, like recommendations for me, how you think I can continue to grow and improve my Instagram and following and create more value for people and create more connections. So... Yeah, that's that's what I have on my list. I'm really psyched for that last one because awesome, perfect. For our chat the other day, I brought it up to the team. Anyway, so I'm more prepped than I should be, but we had some good thoughts, and I'm excited to see what you think. I uh, love it. Yeah, I poised that question to several people because I was because <laughs> I like I internalized it. Uh, you said how to get to 100k. I internalized it, and I asked a few other people, and it was interesting to see our different responses. So, oh, that's great. Okay. Yeah, I'm yeah. excited. I mean, I threw out that number just because it was so ridiculous in my brain that it would. I know it would take drastic changes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to hear about that. But yeah, so let's start with you, man. I mean, I know you're a climber. You've been climbing for about five years, and that's really what started you on this path. But tell me about your early climbing and at what point that transitioned into this focus into creating your own business, your fascination with social media, Climbers Crag, how all of that came about. I'm interested to hear that story. Yeah. I mean, to go way back just to the intro of climbing, because you're totally right. That was the that was the start that would, would lead to social and all this stuff right now. I mean, we're a climbing agency. So obviously I like climbing. We only deal with climbing clients. So yeah, back I got introduced. I feel like it was a birthday party or something, you know, classic climbing story back in the some of my teenage years. Yeah. So I got introduced to climbing and but my I was mainly into soccer before that. Soccer was my head down sport. Soccer was your head down sport. I like that. Yeah, soccer was my sport. I was a goalie. Um, there was thoughts of, am I going college ball? But to be honest, I didn't want to put the work in. It's funny. Like, all the, like, because I was a goalie, and it was, it's interesting looking back. I wanted to just do stuff that would improve my goalkeeping skills. But to be on these high school, college teams, you do all the running and all the fitness and the stuff that, was it super applicable to me, but do it with the rest of the team, which is funny that already from an early age, I was like, let's not apply to me. I'm going to, I don't want to do that. And you're going to make me do that, which comes into play with college and stuff later. But so anyways, so then I got introduced to climbing and within over the next year, that became my soccer. Soccer slowly went by the wayside and climbing just was, I think yeah, it was just a little bit more individual but still you did it with a group. So it was like, mm. I still feel like I was kind of with a team, but you know, I didn't have to, I wasn't dragged along to do fitness and all those other things that I was like, <laughs> I was able to work towards what I wanted to work towards. I have a question for you. I, w I wonder about this because this was my experience with climbing. I, uh, you know, I, I played baseball, I ran track, I did pole vaulting. 
And I liked those things, but I, you know, up until I was like 16, 17, I was just always riding on natural talent. I never practiced in the off season. I never trained for these sports. You know, I never cared enough to do those things. Climbing was the first thing where I was like, wow, I'm actually willing to do some stuff for this. You know, I'm willing to like go back in the weight room and do some suffer fest sort of, I mean, a lot of my training was misaimed early on, you know, I was just like doing crunches until I felt like I was going to puke. But I was willing to do that because I loved climbing so much. Did you feel that at all? Like, did you feel a contrast, you know, with climbing and, and soccer? Yeah, for sure. Soccer, I would do it just for fun. And I'd show up to practices when I was told to be there. You know, when climbing, you're not told to be anywhere. So yeah, the story that came to mind when he said that was when I first wanted to get in the setting, I went to a, a local comp. It was the Portland Boulder Rally. And it was just sick. I was like, I want to set for a comp like this. That's the coolest thing to come up with this. And like set the stage for this cool event. I went to our headset at our local gym and he said, in blunt words, basically you're too big. You're too huh. fat. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, uh, cause I, I, I was honestly probably yeah 30 pounds over what I should have been. Listen, okay. It wasn't huge, but he wasn't to the point where I was expecting that, <laughs> but enough where it was like, it's totally true. So then over the next like three to six months, I basically just lost 20 or 30 pounds. And then ended up joining our climbing team because he was like, oh, okay, well, I'll have you join the team. Um, and then a few months after that, I was setting at that gym, like on the road to that. So again, all like on my own, I said, oh, crap. Okay. He's, if I, this is what I have to do. Then I did everything. I re everything towards that. That's amazing, man. I mean, yeah, you seem like someone who, when you put your mind to something, you get it done, whatever it yeah. takes. I mean, like that's losing 20 or 30 pounds on command over a few months. I mean, like that's, if you could package that into a book, you'd have a New York times bestseller and you'd make millions of dollars, you know, so <laughs> that everyone wants. I don't know if I'd recommend okay. my, my, my process. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember it was too much, but it was, I still look back on that. And the reason I was able to do that is because I was, I was getting late into high school, but I was homeschooled and that was mine. I think that's partly why I can focus so much on stuff because my life is oriented in somewhat a flexible way always, where it's always like, this is the goal, drop everything for most things and spend time on that. Mm. Like when that was the goal, 20, 30 pounds, everything I was educating on, thinking about planning my day around my food, my workouts, was just around that. So I, it doesn't seem that crazy now if I, if I drop 80% of my time and work towards that, I think I could do it again if I mm. needed to. But right. it gets harder and harder. I think it's a, a an advantage I didn't realize I had being homeschooled. My buddy and coworker brought up this question the other day. He said, why'd you get into business? I thought it was a great question. Never been asked before. I had no idea. Honestly, it took a while. And after conversation, we got to the point where it was like, um, at first I thought it was the challenge and this goal thing that you like, that you brought up. I was like, everyone always tells me that it's like, oh, you like a goal. You like a challenge. And I think the more I dug back, I think it's actually because from the early stage, I've always been homeschooled. So I've always been around deliverables. Mm. These are the workbooks you have to do. You can do them late. I mean, you can do them early. You can do all the writing in one day. But you just got to get your deliverables done each week. Like, it's so interesting, like to get the vacation or get, we're leaving. So everybody pack your stuff in two days and just force me to come up with creative ways to get the deliverables done on time. It sounds so analytical, but I think that again, even going to the weight and climbing and everything, I feel like that's actually the biggest driver 
of that. That's fascinating, man. No, it makes sense. I mean, it, it makes sense to me too that you'd probably just don't like fitting into a mold, you know, a pre-described mold. You always had kind of a looser, more flexible structure and air quotes around school. Yeah, it makes sense that you wouldn't want to go sit in a cubicle after doing that. Yeah, I did, I did just enough work right after like senior year of high school. I did a little bit of work at some, like a local retail store. And it was just like one winter. And that I still use that fuel as like, that's the other alternative to everything <laughs> else I'm doing. So yeah, that was enough that yeah, it just, yeah, it doesn't fit. Yeah. All right. So you, you lost 20, 30 pounds, joined the team and then found your way to route setting. Yeah. Yeah. So setting was always competitions. Wasn't really, I think I was, I think I was aware enough to know I was, I think I was 17 at that point. I was too late for the game, at least in terms of, I didn't care about enough to, to go towards comp. So, um, as far as competing wanted, yourself. Yeah. But I wanted to set. Gotcha. Okay. So like I learned more in that three, six month season on the team than the first couple of years of climbing mm. uh, by far, like just someone like we go on the, on a train board, it's an elevator. What is the elevator board? Oh, the tread wall. Tread wall. Goodness. Yes. We have a tread wall in the gym. And you just have one of our head coaches there just roasting your technique and like, no, you're not pushing hard, push harder. You're not. And it's like that. I still have it ingrained in my brain. Sometimes I'm huh. like, drive harder with your feet. Looks, feel stupid. Like you should push harder. <laughs> you should feel stupid how much you're using your legs and just all those things that still I flash back in and out of <laughs> because those were just so, so good. And that set me up to start setting, um, at that gym, which is the source, um, in Vancouver. Yeah, then I started setting out a second gym because again, it was just all about setting mileage. Because you just setting's the weird thing. It's like once you get in, it's like just the more the more you can do, the more it opens up for you. Like mm. you just can't you can't get good at setting without I'm mean, just like you can't get good without doing it so many times a week mm. and doing it once at that at the source, it was once every other week. I was like, sweet, I'm not gonna get very good. I won't I won't get bad, but it's gonna be hard to get good like this. Right. So then there was another another gym that I went to just guest set one day. I had a buddy who was the headsetter. We set at like one a.m. It was it was, it was an it was a good time, and then I ended up being a setter there. And we set I think once a week. So now I was I was working up the chain of setting. I was like, okay, I'm I'm getting there. I'm learning the things. And then yeah, through a ch- series of events, I actually became the headsetter there. So now I'm setting twice a week there, and once every other week the source. And this is when I actually felt like, oh, setting's my, like, I'm going to be a setter. I'm, I'm making it. And while I was doing that, I guess, to get the social media in there. So it was my senior years when I started uh, Chalked Climber. It was like I had a challenge in the class to do a thousand, get a thousand followers in one month based on just the stuff I had on my phone, which for me was a bunch of climbing content. What platform was this? It was Instagram. So this was 2018. Like to say, it's a very different Instagram platform than it is today. Yeah, yeah um, totally. So you had a class challenge to get a thousand followers on I, Instagram. I think, I think the point from it was some online class. I think the point was to show that some like it was really hard. Okay, <laughs> I think that was the point, which is funny because I ended up doing. It, I think it was like thirty-two days. It was right after. It was enough that I was like, "I'll take." It. I, I did it. Wow. Uh, through and all I had was just to give you context. It was a bunch of. V4, six, maybe V7, gym sends, maybe some dinos in there, maybe some route climbing, nothing like that would go viral or do well. It was just kind of this slow, steady increment growth. And again, no one was posting in 2018 Instagram. 
no one was posting that kind of content. So all the climbers ended up falling. So yeah, ended up having a thousand after a month. And at that point I was like, well, I have a thousand people that are waiting for my post tomorrow. Am I going to just stop? And I decided not to. And I kept going over the next six months or so. I think I got up to 15 K. That was kind of the next major milestone. I even started a podcast and did a few episodes with some people. I still talk to this day about the same thing about social media. No, so it was a, it was a, it was whatever it takes. Like so generic. I look back and I just I cringe. But yeah, it was with the climb. <laughs> so I had um, like Jackie from Kilter. I had Josh Levin. I'm trying to think through some other names. I had like four or five. Yeah, it was a good time. But I quickly realized. I think somewhere around fifteen k. I said, "Oh, I should have enough to like do something with this, right? Can I like avoid college with this?" This is my thought. You know, senior year quickly the answer became no you don't you're not anywhere near enough to the place where you could make like make an income from this mm. i thought 15k a lot of people you'll hear that right now but no that's like can't you do brand deals and advertising it's like maybe some maybe specific maybe some niches and some things but not not climbing and not not with the business knowledge i have because mm-hmm. that's the other thing that people don't think about is followers are meaningless if you don't have the the business back end as well. Mm. Like you have to know how to network. You have to know who to go to. That's such a piece of it. It's just an audience, just reach, which is hard for a lot of business people because they have everything else. They don't have the audience. Mm. Um, that's where I think that really the compliment goes together when you really find the right brand and business that goes with, you know, the influencer has all the reach. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's interesting because that's like so many things you know, I, I'm just being reminded of good climbing coaches. You know, I know a lot of good climbing coaches who are terrible business people and, you know, they're scraping by because they just hate doing the self-promotion stuff. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's so many examples like that that come to mind. People that are great at art or photography or creating content and don't have the business side or, you know, vice versa. Some people have amazing ideas, but they're kind of, you know, they haven't invested in the craft, whatever that is. So, yeah. 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 And totally. That's something I hear a lot on some of the, the creator podcasts I listen to, like for people in the, that's creating content on YouTube or Instagram. Um, they'll talk a lot about as soon as you can make it work, find someone who's going to be your back end person. Who's your business person. Mm. If you, if you realize that it's not going to be you, sometimes there's duos and one of them is a business person. Sometimes, sometimes they are themselves. They like both the business and the content. But if you recognize pretty quickly that you're not going to be the business, you're just going to be the content. You need to find that other person mm. and figure out a deal, a partnership, something, because you're just not going to make it, which works so well into the story of Climbers Drag because I would have been all content, at least at first. And Climbers Drag wouldn't have survived without Tom, Tom Randall stepping in when he did and bringing that back end of that mindset. I've never connected the dots this way, but yeah, mm. for sure that was the missing piece. I would have been just the person with 15,000 again when we got back there with climber scrag. But now Tom came in and he's like, Oh, I know what we should actually do with this. Yeah. Okay. I have a bunch of, I have a bunch of questions about that. No, that's great. Um, but I want to relate something that you just said to my own situation. Cause I feel like as far as the podcast goes, I feel like I have a knack for both the podcasting and the business side of that because I've just spent so much time, before I started it, I spent so much time 
investigating that and thinking about that and educating myself. And I'd listened to, you know, to podcasts for so long. Uh, but then with Instagram, I have an understanding of like the business side of it, I think, but I'm terrible at the content creation on Instagram. And so it's been probably the greatest decision as far as Instagram and growing my platform there. It's absolutely been the best decision I've made was to bring on Stevie, you know, who, who makes the content. I just review things. I mean, she's like the mastermind between, you know, behind the reels and all that stuff. And it's made all the difference. Um, but yeah, so Tom, so tell me about, so you, you had your own thing going, you had your own Instagram page. Tell me what the pivot looked like to Climbers Crag and, and where that idea came from. And then it's interesting because the first time I became aware of Climbers Crag and you was actually through Tom and he mm. was talking about the late night climber show. And I had no idea who Climbers Crag was or who you were or what this show was or, you know, I kind of had no idea what he was talking about. And I was like, okay, this is like a, this is a channel. He's partnering with some other guy, you know, and, and then you and I got connected after that. But yeah, tell me about the pivot to Climbers Crag and what the idea was for it and why and how Tom came into the picture. Yeah, I mean, I guess to pick up, because there's still a big gap, we jumped back just to... Sure, yeah. So I was, I was head setter and I was managing all the socials. I'd picked up the socials for this other gym uh, back in, I think this is still 2018-ish, um, 2019 maybe. So I was head setter and I was running all the socials. And then, oh, okay, so actually this was leading up to 2020. And they were even going to open a second gym. I was helping, I was going to help them with the wall design. You know, I was living it up. This, this was 2020. This was led right up. I went and did a guest set for my first comp too. I was like, oh, this is set for finals. I was like, this is the life. We're there. <laughs> 2020 happened. That, I literally had a comp the weekend that, every, that everything went, blew up. Everything closed down from COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So I was in, I was in Salem setting and every day we'd hear more news of like, oh, are we going to have to like cancel this comp? Like, oh, the, man. Number was getting, like the event size was getting smaller and smaller. So we had it basically right at the last day it could have been. We had the great comp down there. Yeah, and then basically everything changed. That was my forced pivot. It was not it was not the planned direction at all. So that gym basically went to survival mode. Mm. Um, I, I haven't been back since, um, since, since March, 2020. And at some point in the summer, the last piece was the real pivot from setting to social was an interview and a sequence of jobs that I was potentially going to move out to Chicago um, to first ascent and be one of the headsetters at one of their new gyms. They had a position open up through the summer. I was psyched. I was like, oh, this, this is the next level in setting. And then by the time I got to pay and everything, I was like, oh goodness, this is like one of the top ish positions in setting. And this is like, I'm not gonna say what it was, but it wasn't that much. Okay. <laughs> so fair, like near the top, I was like, I think it was like 50, 60 K at the time. So I guess it was a couple of years ago, but it was just like, it was all right in the climbing world. But I don't know. I just kind of was like, oh, I've seen the cat. And what am I going to do in a couple of years from now? I'm in Chicago. I moved, moved up and changed my life. And now I'm a headsetter here. And I was like, there's really no, I didn't see the progression. Mm. That was kind of when I, I kind of had a pivot over that summer of COVID. And I was like, okay, I don't think maybe setting's not it. And maybe just because I was detached from it enough to make maybe more of an objective decision through COVID, I wasn't in it every week because oh, I still miss it. It's still so much fun. But I think as a career is when it, I was like, maybe this isn't for me. So yeah, COVID. And then, and then I kind of said, okay, well, what am I going to do? If I just decided to set it, I'm not going down the setting road. That was my whole plan all along. What am I doing? 
So then I came back to Chalk Climber, which had been dead for a year or two, I think since 2019, because I got to 15K. I was like, not psyched on this. So too much work, not enough. So then I came back to that account. I think it was at 8,000, just to give you the, the slow decline. Okay. Oh, it, was, it was still something. Um, and I did, uh, it was December, 2020. Yeah, December, 2020. I said, let me reach out to a bunch of brands. I need to do this smarter if I'm going to do this again. I need to have brand connections. I somehow identified that was one of my main issues. So I did a month of giveaways with brands. I said, hey, no cost, donate some product. I'm going to do a bunch of giveaways just to attempt to restart the account and be like, is there anything even here? And So what did, what did that look like? I mean, what content were you providing You know, in exchange for these brands? I mean, just getting people interested and getting them to pay attention for the, you know, to, to, to these brands to get free product. What was, uh, what was the exchange? Honestly, I'm surprised they said, yes, it was just, <laughs> I was going to do a post and do a giveaway okay. on the Instagram and Facebook. So at the time, I think the Facebook was my, was my appeal. It wasn't actually the value being provided. So it went on Facebook and Instagram, but the Instagram ones did way better mm. because the Facebook groups are, so I had about 25,000 people in the Facebook group, but it did not reach very many of them. So like the Facebook really controls, even in the group settings, which feels like it should be a unmoderated from Facebook, you know, like it should be, you show up and you see what you see, but now like Facebook groups are still so regulated in terms of the, what you see and like which posts go to the top and which go to your feed. Mm. So, yeah, now you, they kind of make you boost, pay them money basically to boost your post to get to even your following. Like you just can't get your stuff in front of people these days. Yeah, totally. And it was a pretty similar case back then. So, but Instagram actually did well, like even with the 8,000 followers, I was I think I was able to deliver a couple hundred new followers to each of the accounts in exchange for product was like pretty good, pretty solid exchange. And I remember distinctly, I would pace around here almost every time we did a giveaway launch. I said, if it doesn't hit this, then it's done. This account isn't good enough. Like it's, it's dead. And every time it just barely hit past the goal of like what I said it needed to do. And it's just like, okay, I guess, I guess I gotta do one more. Okay. I guess I gotta do it's a weird pattern of just like, yep, it was just enough. And then, yeah, so all December, everything did just good enough. And I like, okay, I guess there's an account here. And I think I got it pretty close back to that 15 K after the month, maybe like 12, 12, 13 or something. And from like dead, dead at eight to like active at 12, I was like, okay, they account now I have this account. And Lattice was one of the brands I reached out to, I think. Yeah, definitely. They definitely were in the first giveaway round. And I think I reached out to Tom for like the next thing, next partnership after that. I think that's when he started to switch. I think in his head going from like, oh, this is just a product giveaway to like, what is Sam up to? Like, mm. what is this? Cause he was one of the people, he was one of the first people that was in the Facebook group back when I made it in 2018. So when I shamelessly DM a bunch of people and Jackie from Kilter and Tom, Tom Randall are the two people that joined pretty much right away. They responded to my DM. And yeah, so Tom knew me from, he's like, oh, this dude's back. Uh, I'd be curious to hear Tom's side of the story. But um, <laughs> yeah, so then basically January comes around, January, February, March or so. And it was doing what I was doing better than it was with Chalk Climber. But it was going to have the same inevitable fate. I was just not going to be able to have to, enough connections make the right packages like it just didn't line up from a business sense kind of already started to know that 
but then then I'd call Tom. And I think he brought up the yeah, he brought up the idea. He's like, I don't normally say this, but um I'd be down to do we should do something together potentially, like a business together. And I was like, Oh, I, I wanted <laughs> I told him like you know this drop like I sent over like an email, I think I did three different options of what I was thinking. And now this is so me, so me that I would do this. And one of them was like, I'll drop everything and we'll do this new thing. <laughs> so I kind of thought I didn't realize that he was talking about climbers crack, I think was his like maybe I went into this. Maybe there's something cool here. So yeah. He was basically like, no, 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 I don't want to start a new thing. He basically painted a vision. I was like, oh, that would work. And he's like, yes, that would work. And he, the main thing we built it off of was the uh, connecting brands, athletes, and like the climbing community on social. Mm. It sounds pretty generic, but there's such a synergy of brands will pay to have their athletes featured in a productive way. And we'll have the platform, which will grow the platform. So the platform grows by using the athletes, which the brands pay for. And the, like there was a synergy of like, here's wow. how we get revenue, here's how we get more reach. And we're building a platform that continues the flywheel. And I was like, okay, I see that. So that was all from Tom. And that was kind of what we ran on. I would say it's a little bit different now. I wouldn't, I wouldn't pitch ourselves as that's, that's our model. Um, but that's, that's what got us going. And I mean, that's basic from then on I pestered him enough to get him over the line. Um, and now, yeah, that really changed the direction from Sam's path. That was probably going to end in another failure versus Tom, which is still here today, 18 months later, so. 18 months later. So, okay. That's, that's amazing. You and I are talking in early August, 2022 and climbers crack has like 320 something thousand followers on Instagram, something like that. Um, I actually don't even know what else you're up to. Like, I don't know what your other platforms are doing. I know you have a, a really, uh, you know, you're very dominant on YouTube as well. How would you describe what climbers crag is today? I always describe it as is our bio. It's like the client, uh, the uh, social media agency for the climate industry. And we've had a lot of iterations over this point of, are we the outdoor industry? What are we? And I'm like, I always come back to climbing. And we had a pretty hard decision on that a month or two ago. And I was like, we're the climate industry. We're not the outdoor industry. I'm not here for, I'm not against doing stuff with tents and hiking sticks and hiking, you know, uh, I'm not against consulting and stuff, but who I want to manage and take over and really get excited about, it's going to be hard to be outside of climbing because I, at one point I've always been in the COVID period. One of the short jobs I got was at a marketing agency, a generic broad marketing agency. I did not like thinking about and managing and marketing for pizza companies and all this <laughs> yeah. and even like trying to attract those people just was it was exhausting and you just wanted the calls to be over and i could feel like that's what it was going to be if we started to be too broad and that's why i really tried to hold tight so i always joke with our team i did not want to make an agency i ran from the agency model i said i wanted to build a platform with with advertisers and we make cool content work with cool people like that was the dream mm. and now we've ended up totally where we're agency first, platform second, at least right now. Yeah, so I described, we have two main entities. We have the YouTube channel, which is basically a full um, a full business on its own. YouTube channel, I'd throw the Instagram is connected to that. Um, so that's like our platform, Climber Scribe platform. Um, and then TikTok, and we're gonna start Reddit too is in discussion as maybe our hub for community. Um, so I'd say that's the platform. And then we have the agency. 
which is basically born out of what advertising born from the advertising conversations we had with brands. So Tom was able to get us in with a, open doors for a lot of chats. But the more and more we went down and the closer we got to like fall or winter last year, we said, we shouldn't be selling people advertising. That's not the, that's not the core solution to their problem. They shouldn't just buy a million impressions from us. They should be able to know how to make and get themselves a million impressions because mm. no one has a big enough following on Instagram to do that for themselves. Why? That you could do every month versus paying us every month to just, it just it didn't make sense the more I thought about it. So that's why we kind of went a step back and said, we should be either consulting or managing people's accounts so they can just do this every month versus like paying us just to keep insert, like you're, you're more, can, you need us if we're at, if our advertising is the only platform that you can get impressions on. We have like, so it's almost like in some ways we should have maybe just said, keep, you have to work with us to get impressions. But I feel like it made more sense from a brand's point of view to be like, oh, actually build up our platform. So we have a place that we can always communicate with people. And that's, that's the main pivot that happened. That was November, December last year, 2021, um, was when we really said, okay, maybe there's an agency side here. And I, I felt terrible bringing it up to Tom. Cause I was like, I just, again, I just ran from an agency. I don't want to do that, but it was the, it was the organic next step, which is a big word that I, especially on the business side, I feel like the next service, the next pitch, the next price, the next upsell almost always needs to be organic. It needs to be like, this is like, if this is doing well, we should do the next thing. Like it just makes sense to add in TikTok. If we're doing if one client's been really well on Instagram, it's like, okay, it makes sense to go up to seven posts a week or add in this other platform. It just, I don't know, it's that organic, it makes sense. So when we're on all these pitch calls and people are like, oh, it's great, but I don't want to renew or don't do long-term contracts. I'm like, oh, that makes sense because you're just tying to us. Like you need to be building up yourself. So it, it just makes sense for us to move back in the problem, to look for the real problem, not the symptom, which was impressions. Gotcha. The real problem was they didn't, they, the real problem was they didn't even know what the point of getting impressions was or how to get them on their own. So it made going to someone else even more uh, meaningless because you're just, you're just like going to the vending machine for your milling impressions versus being able to <laughs> understand how to just make it your own vending machine. And you can just dictate what, what gets impressions and what you want to put out there. I'm going to summarize all that. And you tell me if I'm right. So you connected with Tom, you had this vision for connecting brands with athletes, with everyone else, with all the people watching and listening and getting inspired by these people. And the brands were having trouble showcasing the athletes as much as they wanted to on their own pages. And that's where you came in. You were like the, the hub for all these different athletes being represented for all these different brands. And then you realize like, oh, actually we should just be empowering brands to do this on their own, to build their own followings, to showcase more of their own athletes and get more value directly, uh, which I think is brilliant, man. I mean, so, so many good businesses are just grown out of recognizing needs, you know, and, and feeling those pain points when you try to create something or do something on your own, realizing like, man, there should be this thing to solve this problem. And then you, you set out to make it. So, um, yeah, I, I just think it's awesome. So nowadays you do that for brands through consultations. And then you also manage a lot of these brands pages yourself or not yourself, but your team climbers. Yeah. Track. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so the two things we do on the agency side, we have two main services right now. One is the social media management. 
and that can come in. Sometimes we do like monthly consulting with a brand to help help them best utilize their account. And also comes in form of us just full service turnkey. You show up every other week to a meeting and we handle everything in terms of strategy, execution, acquiring the content, communicating with athletes. Like the point is we're supposed to save you a bunch of time and not just save you time, but do it way better than any freelancer you'll find. That's, mm-hmm. that's the goal. So that's the social media management side. And then the natural, the natural organic next thing that we found in the last two, three months or so is this whole side with ambassadors and athletes and brands. It's another thing where we ran into is like, okay, what's the natural, if your account's doing well, what's the natural next step? Okay. Well, you want to make sure that your, all your athletes and ambassadors that are talking about your account that are pointing towards your account are optimized as well. Mm. Because if they're pointing correctly, that's your, that's your next level up the funnel. Like, all right, your account's good. Okay. But who's talking about your account? And that's, so that was the natural next step. Like, okay, we should, the first step was we should consult with brands and help them best utilize how the, the athletes already have. And now we're even moving into like, oh, we should just manage and find and connect with the athletes ourselves and build up teams, which is something we've done for some clients as well. Ground up. Okay. Your account's going great. We're going to build an ambassador team. And the great thing is with climbers crack, the account, the Instagram account, I mean, we're on several years of doing it. We know who the top creators are. We know who makes the best content. We know who's growing the fastest because we're posting three times a day of those people and we're messaging those people and they know us, they trust us. So who better to pick the ambassadors for you than, than us who has all the data. And we even done, we even have a big database on the back end of ranked best creators and best brands in terms of their, their stats, like engagement, growth, and all that stuff. So on the, like, I have a list of, I have, two, I have multiple spreadsheets where I'm just like, okay, this creator, and we even have filtered by like us, Europe age. So a brand <laughs> comes to us and wants specific ambassadors or wants to see how they rank. We have a database. So it, it kind of became that natural, like, okay, we should be doing stuff with ambassadors. So that's kind of our second core offering. It's like ambassadors, optimization is what we call it. Um, and then social media management. So two things, not, okay. hopefully not too much. There's a lot that's a lot that's in them, but those are the two core needs that we, we fill. And what does the climbers crag team look like these days? You have a big group of people working for you? Yes. Yeah, so there's about, I think eight or nine of us at the moment. Um, eight or nine of us at the moment. At one point we had up to 14. Uh, back in my less smart days of hmm. more, the, the original thought I thought was more, uh, more part-timers equaled more like, I don't know, I thought that would be the best result because each people, person would be more fresh for their 10, 20 hours a week. But I didn't factor in the communication and management of 15 people mm. is a full-time job. So my whole job was meetings and just making sure people didn't drop the ball on small things. And then I was just a project manager which I think, uh, yeah, we kind of stalled for three months there. And I think that was partly a why is because I wasn't pushing anything. I was just trying to make sure everyone did their thing and no one was really like pushing us forward. So, mm. uh, so basically then we trimmed back down. Now there's eight or nine of us, um, three or full, four full-time people. Um, and then the other, other people are all part-time. So, yeah. Okay. So it, it's interesting. I want to kind of wind our way towards, some of the things that most people listening to this can do if they're interested in growing their own followings, um, because it's it's interesting, like you you built this 
good following yourself with only the content that you had on your phone climbing gym boulders up to 15,000 followers. So that's really interesting. I want to talk a little bit about that. But, you know, with Climbers Crag, it sounds like Tom Randall was was so key to your success, at least partially. Who knows what you would have been able to do without him? Maybe you'd be in the same place. Um, but I think that'd be interesting to talk about, too, is what are the things that you have been able to give to brands to empower them or ambassadors to grow their own followings without a key connection person like that, you know? Or or is it is that what it's all about? Maybe it's all about networking and leveraging other people and their big followings and things like that. But what do I want to ask here? I think I think it would actually be worth pausing on that to talk about who is this worthwhile for? You know, is growing your platform, yeah. you know, for the thousands of people listening to this who aren't pro athletes who you know, I'm sure there's some small business owners who are going to be able to utilize this advice, but there's probably just a lot of people who love climbing who think that Instagram is cool and they think it'd be cool to have a bigger, bigger following. And maybe they have romanticized ideas about what a 10,000 or 15,000 followers on Instagram would give to them in their life, you know, and, and um, maybe they think that they'd make lots of money or maybe they think they'd be able to become a pro climber or, or who knows. And maybe those things are true. So yeah, I think we should talk about that. Like who is this worthwhile for? Is growing your platform a good goal to have? Who can benefit from a lot of the advice that you have to pass on today? Okay, so much there. One note on the Tom thing before I jump into this. Sure, yeah. I think Tom was huge on the business side. I don't think he, I, I don't want to make Tom sound not as important, but my point was <laughs> on the platform side, I think, because he was, he helped the business survive. He came with a back end. I don't think, Everyone doesn't need a Tom. That's what I'm trying to get across. You don't need a Tom. Was it the, the, the reason we were able to grow was because we had Tom. Okay. The platform could have grown on its own. I think Tom came and made a business that was able to stabilize off the back of it. Got it. So if you're hearing this, you don't be like, ah, now I have to go reach out to every pro and I need a pro to join mine. No, no, you don't need that. If you're solid on the business side, your platform can, you can totally do it with all this stuff. So want to repeat one of those last questions. I just want to get that note in before. Yeah. I don't want people to sit there and be like, oh, that are demoralized straight off the bat because they don't, they're not connected to someone. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah, the, the questions, who is this a worthwhile goal for? And is this a good goal to have like growing your platform in general? Um, yeah, I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Yep. I think it all depends. You just have to realistically work backwards on if you had 15,000 followers, what are you going to get out of it? So if evaluating who it's good for, especially from a business point of view, I'd evaluate if you had a hundred K, like, is that going to help your business? And what content are you putting out that at a hundred K would help your business? So like, a, let me just, a local gym, it's a one, let's talk about the source, a single gym. They're not going to, they're not expanding across the globe or the nation. Do they need a hundred K followers? Should they be sinking a hundred grand each year? into growing their social because I think people don't realize like there's a big investment, especially into YouTube and some of these platforms. Like, is it worth spending, you know, five, six figures a year on investing into this platform to grow? And for like the source, I'd say, heck no, like 10 K I'm also like 10,000 people are not in Vancouver climbing. Like mm -hmm. how many people come to you have a couple hundred are like members, I don't know, two, three, 500. So no, I would like, it's very different. It always has to go back to like, why do you want to grow? And is it rooted in a clear one, two, three 
because maybe for a creator like Joseph Diaz climbs, I know he's a very clear one, two, three. He's not a business, but uh, he's a creator and makes incredible animations and boulder breakdown videos. And he's grown to like, I think he's at 100K across Instagram and TikTok. And he is a very clear, like, this is why I started. I'm in the film industry, high-end ad director, making fine, great money. He wants to do something in climbing. So, okay, maybe Instagram and TikTok's the way. So it's like, all right, I'm going to grow for this period. And at some point, this is my plan to transition, to monetize. And then I can hopefully make a full-time income off this after this proof of steps. Like in my head, that's, if you're going to be a creator, influencer, whatever you want to call it, you need a pretty clear and expectations that, like I said, hundred K that he's at across platforms, he's scratching, he's getting there, but he's certainly not there in terms of like, for sure scale, he can make great money. Like, wow. I think we'll need to be in the hundred K per like one platform. So like Bo Martino is a great example. Uh, look these people up if you guys haven't seen them. Yeah. Before. I'll, I'll put links to these people in the show notes. Yeah. yeah. Bo Martino. Uh, I think he's at 130 K and I know he's doing fine. One platform, 130 K. And I'm like, sweet. He's a proven example. I know he's making fine money off being a creator and just making great content. So awesome. Love his stuff. His sponsored stuff, I think is arguably better than his normal content, which is, which is what creators need to be good at. Mm. Um, so my point is it's a, the goal is way higher than you think, but if you have the nice roadmap and you know why you're doing it, it, it makes sense. Mm. It's such an Eric answer, but it's hard to hard without real examples of brands to be like, should we put money in? But right. if you can't give clear one, two, three, and this is how it's going to profit us. Um, it's going to end up as a profit. If you can't give me that, probably the answer is no until you figure out that. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to jump in and share a few of my own kind of personal stories and anecdotes here, like friends of mine, I know, and things like that. Cause these things are just springing to mind, like for the individuals out there listening to this, who are good climbers, who can make cool content and who are feeling like somewhat seduced by the draw of Instagram and growing your platform and things like that. Um, just, I don't know, just hoping that something cool will happen. I mean, I was that person. I, I had a tiny following. I didn't post regularly. I remember I had this one trip to Bishop that was like an amazing climbing trip for me and, you know, not noteworthy by, by global standards by any means, but it caught some people's attention and I got some growth from that. And for a, a period of time, this is, this predates the podcast. This was back in 2017. I felt, um, it became addictive. I was like, oh, wow, that was really cool. How can I keep this going? And I really started to, for a few months, just invest energy into posting more regularly, you know, just being really more, like a lot more thoughtful about my content, hoping to grow, not really having a clear idea of what was going to come from that. I just thought it was cool. I think I was like, you know, con trying to convince myself that it made me more legit or maybe made me closer to a pro climber, even though I wasn't, something along those lines. And eventually it just felt really forced. It felt like I was putting a lot of energy into this thing. I didn't really have a clear why. I didn't know why I was doing it. I had no roadmap like you're talking about. I had no end game and it just started to feel exhausting and it started to feel really inauthentic because I was stuck in Bend, Oregon. I wasn't taking cool trips. I didn't have great content to share. I was just like coming up with stuff. And around that same time, I, I had... um. I had a roommate who was a photographer and he had like 15,000 followers and 
I remember having a conversation with him. I was like, how did you do that? You know? And like, do you have any recommendations for me? And basically he's like, dude, I'm kind of over it. You know, he, he um, had reached a point where he'd kind of come to the same conclusion. In my mind, he had all this success and he had this massive following. And like, why wouldn't you want that? Especially as a photographer. And he was like, honestly, it doesn't give me much business. I get most of my business locally through word of mouth and through partnerships with these local businesses and things and my, my local reputation. Um, maybe it gives me a little credibility, but it's kind of a pain in the ass. And I'm pretty sure he just bailed and just left Instagram, you know? And I have another friend now. So now I have the nugget and I have um, Stevie helping me and I have 15,000 followers on Instagram but it's serving a purpose for me, you know, like I have this podcast, that's my main thing. And Instagram helps reach new potential listeners. And it also is a great tool for me to remind people about cool things. You know, here's new bonus content on Patreon that you can check out. Here's how to get it. You know, here's this awesome video clip that we talked about in this podcast, and this is the easy way to easiest way to showcase it. If you follow the nugget, you're going to see that naturally. So it's serving a purpose for me, regardless of the size, and it's fun. And you know, I have another friend who's a climber who um, is not a pro climber, and she has a similar size following. And it's interesting. I just had a conversation with her like a month ago and she's kind of at a similar pain point of like, I don't know why the hell I'm doing this. Like, yeah, I get some free gear from companies every now and then, some free products. But, you know, she has a job. She doesn't need like a free pair of climbing shoes necessarily. And it's a lot of work. And it's kind of this, I think for her, she's at this point where it's like, okay, I'm just kind of doing it because I'm, it's a habit, you know, but I could kind of see in her eyes that it was like a chore instead of yeah. something that she enjoyed. So anyway, I wanted to share all that just to talk a little bit more about the individual's cases where you don't have a small business, where you're not a pro climber and there's not a strong why. I think it's it seems like it would be really cool to have this following, but time and time again, when I come across people who have that and don't have the why, it's actually just burdensome, you know, unless you just love it for its own sake. Yeah, I think I think it really fits into two categories. It's like, as an individual, do you want free stuff? Because there's a certain threshold to hit that. And maybe that's once a week post and, you know, a couple thousand followers, just enough to give Brian some reason to send you free stuff. And you could probably get your free climbing kit all paid for with the amount of work. Then you just have to ask, is it worth the investment to get free climbing stuff? But if you have a nice paying job, probably not, to be honest. Mm. Uh, but if it is, that's one decision. The next bucket, though, is what I would say that Joseph Diaz, the creator, like you want to make all of your money from this, starting from this platform. And even if it's a podcast or a business, then you have to say, what's the funnel? I hate to say that because it sounds so markety and like conversion based because I really all I'm all awareness brand focused, but you need to see some funnel. Like for you, it was a great example. The podcast makes sense even at 15K because some people will turn into listeners and listeners will help increase the ad revenue. And some of those people will turn into Patreon, which is increased. It's a clear like funnel. So it of course makes sense at whatever size, as long as it's getting bigger. Um, but if you don't have that funnel, like going back to Joseph Diaz, I don't know why we're now I have two case studies. Apparently I'm just using them all episode, but <laughs> Joseph Diaz, he doesn't have a funnel right now, but his funnel is he's building up the audience so that you can do partnerships and ad revenue and all that stuff at some point, mm. but the funnel is not activated. 
but that's intentional because he's trying to get all the growth until until the funnel's big enough that it makes sense to stop other work to take on being a creator. Right. That, make that makes perfect sense. And I actually, I, I relate to that. I did a really similar thing with the podcast where for the first year, it felt really important to me to just try to make this show that I envisioned in my, in my mind, you know, like just try to make the best podcast I can and not even think about my monetization strategy. Like I had some ideas, but you know, the things I'm doing now, the ads and the, the Patreon and the follow-ups and all that sort of stuff, like those all grew out of experiments and, you know, idea generation and talking to people, talking to friends, talking to listeners that all came later, but it felt important to me to know that I could make a good show that I wanted to listen to and that other people love to listen to. And also it was so important to know that I loved doing it. You know, like I wanted to make sure that I really enjoyed this and that it had staying power for me and that it continued to be interesting after I got some of my most burning training questions asked, you know, because that actually happened pretty quick. Like I feel like within the first six months or a year, I'd kind of talked to a lot of the the coaches and the pro athletes that I had dreamed of talking to and asked them a lot of my burning questions. And I I had enough information to go on to make myself a better climber. I mean, I'm still using a lot of this new information that's popping up in these conversations. It's all helpful, but I needed to know that, okay, this is going to continue to be engaging and fun and interesting, and I'm going to love doing it. Then it's going to be worth the pain of figuring out how to monetize it. Cause that part, I mean, it's a challenge and in that way, it's kind of a fun like puzzle but it's not fun. Like, I don't love doing that side of it. It's just, I want to keep making this show. So how do I do that? You know, it's, it's just kind of the necessary evil almost, you know, side of, of the whole thing. So, I mean, that's a good point though. Like above all else, before you really get into it, you have to know that you're going to love it. Like you said, even when you have to do, you have to reach into brands and something that I always think about with like people say, you gotta love work. I always try to remind myself, like you loving 80 to 90 percent of work you're in a great place and like sometimes it's gonna it's gonna be not as ideal and that's okay but like 80 to 90 percent is kind of what i'm like in my brain i'm like i don't want to do this and i'm like well but 80 to 90 percent i want to so mm. i'm gonna suck it up <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and the other note on like the the first year of the podcast and wanting to grow versus optimizing like having a funnel or revenue is this amazing quote i've heard recently is goodwill compounds faster than revenue. Goodwill compounds faster than revenue. Okay. The one sentence recap of that whole point. It's like, okay, I'm just going to keep compounding goodwill until, until I need the revenue or mm. as long as I can. Because instead of saying, I'm going to keep taking all the cash out as possible, because then you're just like, you're losing all the goodwill. And it goes into another thing, which is kind of the, the virality of something is like the customer surplus of it hold on people. It's, I know it sounds so marketing, but it's like the difference. Like if an amazing podcast is $10, like if you're every episode was $10 to listen to the amount of people that would share and talk about it and say how great it is. It's probably a lot different than if it was free. Mm. Right. Just because the value on a free podcast, oh my, my climbing is so much better because I listened to one podcast and it was free. I'm going to tell everybody. Mm. So it's like the virality and the shareability of something is all based on what you're asking versus what you're getting at the root cause. That's like one step farther back. And we will be right back. 
This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I took some this morning. Athletic Greens has become one of my favorite parts of my morning routine. This morning, I woke up, threw a scoop of Athletic Greens in a water bottle that I kept in my fridge overnight in my van, so it was nice and cold. Shook it up and sipped on that while I made my coffee. And it's so refreshing, and I love the flavor. There's some apple and some pear extract in there, along with some stevia to make it delicious, but not too sweet. I really enjoy it, and I really look forward to it almost as much as my first cup of coffee in the morning, which is super fun. Why do I take Athletic Greens aside from it being delicious? Well, I think of it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. Athletic Greens has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, and really gives you all of the micronutrients to meet your daily needs. I like to eat whole foods when it comes to my nutrition as much as possible, but it's hard to eat perfectly all the time. I live in a van, I travel all the time, and some places where I love to climb are in the middle of nowhere, and it's really hard to find good produce. I'm sure many of you can relate to that. I'm actually in 10 Sleep, Wyoming right now, and this is one of those places it's really hard to get good produce. The thing I love about Athletic Greens is if I take my one scoop in the morning, I know I'm covered. If you want to see what all the fuss is about, Athletic Greens is going to give you guys, listeners to this podcast, a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash nugget. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash nugget to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. This episode is also brought to you by Arcteryx. When Jordan Cannon, a young climber infatuated with climbing history, meets climbing legend Mark Hudon, a Yosemite big wall free climbing pioneer, they form an unlikely partnership around a common goal. Jordan wants to free climb the free rider on El Cap in a day, and Mark hopes to free the route in as many days as it takes and accomplish his lifelong goal of free climbing El Capitan. Follow their story in Free As Can Be, a short climbing film brought to you by Arcteryx. I watched the film about a month ago. It's 31 minutes long. It's so well done. It's a story of climbing partnership and adventure. And if you love this podcast, and especially if you loved my episode with Jordan Cannon, episode 115, then I know you'll love the film. So check it out. Head over to YouTube and search for Arcteryx, free as can be, or use the direct link right there in your podcast app to watch the full 31-minute film for free. Once again, you can head over to YouTube and search for Arcteryx, free as can be, or use the direct link right there in your podcast app to watch the full 31-minute film for free. Arcteryx presents free as can be, and we hope you enjoy the film. All right, back to the show. Okay, let's dive into. Talk about this for days. I know, I know, I know. We have we have, we've hardly gotten to any of the topics on my list here. Let's let's dive in. I want to talk about the sustainability and the longevity of these different platforms, in the context of asking the question: which of these are a good investment for fill in the blank for climbing companies, for pro climbers, for ambassadors, for average people out there who just want to keep enjoying these platforms. And I think this is an important question to ask because it seems like it's really different depending on the industry. Like I've noticed, you know, Facebook is a great example. Facebook compared to Instagram, they're owned by the same big corporation. And the results that I've gotten 
on Facebook versus Instagram, I mean, it's night and day. It couldn't be more different. Like Facebook, I initially invested the same amount of energy into that. And there's just no one there. Like there's just no one there who's interested in climbing or it's not reaching them for whatever reason, the algorithms. And Instagram has just grown and grown and grown. I I get better engagement. It's more fun. And um, I don't totally understand why that is, but I just, you know, that's something I've noticed. I don't think that's necessarily the case for other industries. I think that's a very climber specific thing. So I'm interested to ask you, which of these platforms do you think are still going to be here in 10 years and which ones are still a good investment in your mind? Yeah. And the answer, I think I'll, I'll definitely get to that. But the point on the Facebook, why, why am I not, why am I people not seeing that? The, the macro level on platforms is just supply and demand. It's the amount of content supply versus the demand amount of people there. So if you go to Facebook, it's been around the longest, the most middle-aged, you know, that's the main demographic. They're posting so much. That's all of the content store. And it's just more than the supply, at least compared to the percentage. Yeah, the supply demand is is more closer to equilibrium than somewhere like Instagram. Hmm. This is even breaks down in places like Reels. There's less content. There's more demand than there is content. That is why reels go viral. Mm. But just because this one's going to get shown to a bunch of people because there's not one content per person. There's, you know, there's one piece of content for every 10 viewers. I don't know. Does that make sense? Right. Like, yeah, that's it does. Why. Um, and TikTok 2020, people could blow up so much easier than now because there just was a lot less content, but there was still much. Yeah. There's a lot of viewership. Um, so which platforms? That's a great question. I think we, like you said, Facebook, I think Facebook is past its, its prime time. I did see a headline today that said organic reaches back on Facebook. I haven't watched the video yet. Okay. The thought might be that Facebook has had this, uh, this stigma. Everybody says it's dead. So maybe now that the supply demand is getting a little bit better because there's less content. I don't know. I haven't watched the video, but for all intents and purposes, businesses, creators don't build your base on Facebook. They've shown you what they're going to do to your reach in the past by just lowering it. So I would say Facebook's off the table. Twitter is another qu- kind of quick write-off unless you're in specific industries that thrive on Twitter. This is news, anything that's really short and just text-based, like info, immediate, people want to know. It seems uh, like tech, like a lot of tech people are on Twitter. Tech, yeah, tech, yeah, tech news, politics, that stuff. Twitter is the place. If you're outside of a few specific niches, Twitter's more dead than Facebook, in my opinion. It's just mm. very focused and it's really hard to grow. Um, yeah. So Twitter, Facebook, all right, that's the quick ones to get off the table. Um, and then you got Instagram, I think is still the king. And the reason why I think it's the king, and I've heard from several uh, people, is it just has it, it's the only place that you can do so much in one platform. TikTok is just content, it's just a for you page, it's just reach and a buy. You don't have any stories. I mean, there are stories, but no one uses them. It's one thing. YouTube is pretty similar. You put out long form content. You maybe put out shorts, but you don't get the dialogue that you can get on Instagram. You can do stories that you know 10% of your following is going to re- um, watch, which is huge with polls, links. Mm. You can DM every single one of your followers. You can DM bigger people. Huge. Again, hard to do on TikTok hard like you can't do on youtube you have to email which we all know email sometimes works but dm is just so much better of a tool um and then you get feed posts and you can do carousels you can do pictures or you can do 
reels. Like it becomes clear when you think about it that way, like you have the same group of people, but you can talk to them in five ways. Mm. That's got to be more powerful than TikTok, which you can talk to in one way, right? which really pushed down to because TikTok, again, they're optimizing for one thing, which is incredible content. So if your content isn't great, they have no reason to show it to anyone. It's just built different than Instagram, where if you have a hundred thousand followers on Instagram, let's say pretty comfortably, let's say you'd be able to reach 20 to 40% of them of a, like even a feed post. Like if we put out like a hiring post or something that's really not great, it'll still reach. What did you call that? A what post? Oh, a hiring, like a work a hiring. hiring. Okay. Got it. Like a brand post. Like I thought you were using some fancy social media term. Oh, I'm, I just oh, missed it. Oh. Hiring post. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we're hiring anything that's like not sexy. Got it. It'll still reach yeah. 20. It'll still reach a good amount of your following 20, 30, 40%. Okay. Um, on TikTok, you have a hundred K followers and you put out a post that's really boring. And it's just like, Hey, we got new shoes or something that people aren't going to be excited about. You'll get a thousand views. That's not crazy to say there's lots of accounts that have it. So you just don't have the base that you do on Instagram, mm. which is why I think uniquely Instagram is the main place. I think it's Instagram and somewhere else for all any brands or businesses that really want to go into it or creators, it's Instagram and TikTok. TikTok's the reach, Instagram's the reach, but also the hub. Mm. Instagram and YouTube, YouTube's the long form, the bond connection, but then it's also Instagram's the quick hit awareness to the YouTube. I think it's I think Instagram works well with others. Um, That's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, you're the expert. I feel like I just stumbled into that strategy just kind of by trial and error, actually. But I found the same thing. Like the Instagram plus the podcast seems to be a great combination. I tried TikTok, like, you know, Stevie's the the whiz. She was making reels and, or whatever. I mean, they're not called reels, but she was making videos on TikTok and trying to target them for TikTok. And it just, I don't know if, climbers just aren't there or it'd be interesting to hear your take on this or if we weren't you know posting the right type of content or whatever but it didn't go anywhere i mean just like facebook it was kind of like okay we're putting all this energy in you know it's working over here and on instagram it's not working in these other places so let's just bail on these things and double down on instagram but yeah you you had success on tiktok you grew from zero to 60k followers in like six months i think why did you stop using it for the core reason that I have against the platform right now, at least currently, is the we had 60K and we would reach two, 3,000 people on a video that wasn't mega viral. We'd mm. be 1 million plus or we'd be three to 5,000. And I'm just like, maybe not even 5,000 sometimes. It was just like, it just feels, it's it's that's the most like a, you're playing a roulette. Oh, a okay. Most, okay. The most gambling you'll get. And that's why, the only like pushback to like saying I didn't see any results from TikTok is one, it's like TikTok is a momentum driven platform more than Instagram. Uh, Instagram definitely is more than YouTube for sure. Like TikTok, when you have one, so if you looked at our growth, that 60K, it would be um, zero from zero for a little bit. And then we jump to like 15K and then 15 to 20. And then you jump to like 40K mm. and then you get a little bit. So every time you blow up, everything in your catalog does well because people are just all your feed on your profile, okay, on your profile. And then it would slowly die out and you'd lose momentum. And then all the videos you post are now getting two, 3,000 views. And then you have one that hits and now everything's doing well mm. for a little bit. And then it dies. 
and you're just doing the stair step over and over. So got it. Never, you never know when you're going to get the first step up either. Like it could be a year. <laughs> and then right. you get, oh, now we're to the next level. So you're so, just like coasting between these like little jackpots. Exactly. And that's got really, it. yeah. And again, so we are, we are starting to move clients into them though. Like a recent decision. It's because one like accounts that we feel like have gotten Instagram solid. It does feel like the natural next step, especially if they have some ambassador team in place. That is the place to get the awareness. We're still unsure what, like we have no expectations in terms of what good is, what estimated growth, because it does feel like the wild west. But, but I do know it's the next platform and it has a place. And I think if you just totally dismiss it, I think you'll regret it at some point. And it's a little, mm. a little, cause I think it'll get my, my, my opinion on TikTok is that it'll get more vanilla as it scales, just like Instagram did. Instagram was photo sharing, helps everything. I think TikTok will not to the same degree, but will have more features that feel it just makes it more accessible because how does it get to the same scale as Instagram? It needs to be so easy to post and your mom can post on TikTok. It needs to get to that point. Right now it's not there, which is kind of what they want. But my my opinion is it'll get more vanilla, which will make it easier for brands to get in and the middle-aged people who's not as into that stuff. But if you have if you have audience when that comes, then now you it's now like Instagram, but you have half a million followers. And mm. if the platform is closer to Instagram, wow, you won. <laughs> you took the risk. And I really think that's where it's going, but it's, a, it's an interesting time to be on it for sure. Yeah. So how are you thinking about that for your company? I mean, are you going to continue to invest in TikTok and just hoping that it does that someday? Or are you just going to press pause for now and wait until you see that start to shift happen? Like, yeah, how are you thinking about that? Yeah, I mean, this is what Tom and I have, said since we pressed pause and that was middle that was at least a year ago when we said sweet this is here i don't think it's there yet like the climbers aren't here the scale hasn't happened so yeah we we pressed pause and honestly until just recently we haven't changed our mind too much but we're just kind of still waiting like every every month or so tom will bring up like oh did you see this person's now on a tiktok like because we're watching the pro climber stream mm. because that's the leading indicator in our opinion of the the whole of the audience. Interesting. <clears throat> if you, but if you look, no one really has, no one that's established on Instagram, any of the main climbers have a following there yet. Yeah. Some of the smaller ones have blown up and there's some 50K ish. There's not that many though. So I think we're on, I think we're getting there. I think we're closer than we've ever been. And I would suggest to brands, if everything is actually in order in terms of Instagram, in terms of ambassadors, because in my terms, it's always, gets your Instagram content in order, build your ambassador team. And then what's the next platform? But you got to do steps one and two before, because otherwise TikTok will be a distraction and a waste of effort and money. Like you've got to get Instagram with a funnel, like a reason behind Instagram. You got to get up to one to two times a day. Then you got to go to the ambassador level. Who's talking about that? Who's always pointing at your account. And then you have to go to another platform. Maybe it's YouTube. Maybe it's TikTok. Probably be almost always one of those two or podcast, I guess it's a fair third. I feel like I was going back to a point, but I forgot. So that's kind of my, Oh, that, that's, oh, I was going to say that I would be shocked if there's anybody listening that's ready to be at TikTok level. If again, we have the database plans. I don't think there's almost anyone out there who's, who's really fully utilized Instagram to actually grow, have a reason for it, have built their ambassador team well enough. They're fully functioning, systemized and pointing towards 
I don't think anyone, no climbing brand or person I've really seen has finished Instagram before okay. they need to add in another level. That's just my, that's my opinion, hot take. But um, I, I think, I think we're, I think we're behind. So instead of talking about TikTok, just double down because you should be seeing, I'm going to give you like real numbers here for this, the brands on here. Like you should be seeing five, 10% plus growth a month. If you're not seeing that consistent, that means growth rate is the, the sum of your account. In my opinion, it's like your health score because Instagram will push the accounts that are doing what it wants and performing well. And that the audience wants. So if you're not getting pushed to new followers and they're not converting your accounts, not as healthy as it could be. Okay. Instagram should be growing five to 10% a month. Got it. That's, that's my generic advice. That's probably not right for everybody, mm-hmm. but it's a ballpark. Because again, just to give you context, one of our clients, we had a hundred percent growth, 115 in one month. Wow. So, <laughs> wow. So, like, just to give you context, it could be a lot of things. And on our climber sky account, um, I think we just hit 5% for the first time in a long time. And I'm not sad about that because 3% on 330,000 is still great. Yeah. Like, I'm okay. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So take it with a grain of salt, but most brands, especially in the, in the range that they're at five, 10%. Yeah. yeah. Okay. This is great. So I'm going to summarize again. So Instagram is king. And in your opinion, most brands, most individuals have not maximized Instagram and they could do a lot more on Instagram to grow. And they should do that before branching off into YouTube or TikTok. If, and we should, we should say like, there are just YouTubers who just love creating content on YouTube and that's their main thing. Yeah. And then maybe they grow an Instagram in addition to that. Like, that's fine. I mean, I did that with the podcast. Um, you know, the podcast came first. Instagram is a tool that I use. Um, but if your goal is to use these social media platforms for marketing and for growing your business, Instagram is king. Focus on that. So I yeah. think, go ahead. Last thing there. Yeah. I appreciate you summarizing. That's so great. Um, I think the thing why I still like Instagram, even if YouTube was the main platform, maybe you start by making short form content versions of what you're going to make on YouTube. Mm. And if you get 10, 20, 30 K on Instagram, which is way easier than YouTube, you can transfer 25%, not a huge amount, but you can transfer and get that first few thousand on YouTube. And now you'll actually know what content works, what topics people like. It's just lower left, higher frequency, more learning quicker growth. So then you could go to the main platform. It's like even podcast. I don't know. I don't think you'd be able to do podcast version on Instagram. So you probably have to start the podcast and Mm. the Instagram, but that's, I think still using it, you can go off to bigger platforms because I view podcasts and YouTube as the highest cost, high lift, uh, platforms. If you can do them, they're great. Um, but I tell brands like we have one client that we're going to do we started this month. We're going to start the journey of YouTube. It's a year and get ready to spend six figures roughly overall, like all costs and everything to actually grow and hit scale somewhere around a six figure investment, wow. which is most brands go, Oh, and I, I'm like, yep, it's, it's not the same as Instagram. Instagram you could do for much, much, much cheaper. TikTok much, much, much cheaper podcast is probably somewhere in the middle, but YouTube is, yeah, it's worth the work, but then you can make easily make a hundred grand just off AdSense mm. from you. So you just pay, like, it's a lot of work up front, but now you have a, for, for businesses, you can have a huge additional revenue stream and get paid 
to get awareness. Like you're getting six figures and then you're also getting, you're not paying for the ads and you just reached millions and millions of people throughout the year. So it's powerful, but yeah. it's all so I'm just gonna. Use, I have no idea if they would if they're doing this. I'm just picking their name randomly, but just to give people an example, this would be like let's say Petzl comes to you and they want to grow their YouTube, so you're helping them connect with more of their athletes and basically sponsor these really high production, really cool films that people are going to watch that are, that are going to drive revenue back to the brand and also generate ad revenue on YouTube itself. Am I is that kind of the right idea? Uh, not too much, actually, because really, I wanted to say we do YouTube. I say we know YouTube very, very, very well. But this, the reason we're doing it with this one client is, uh, I'm going to give them a shout out. It's Crux Academy, and they're doing courses. So they're already filming content with biggest names, Honolds, Chris Sharma. They have like this amazing slate. This is John Glassberg and uh, Jeremy Jensen behind it. Amazing oh, guys. Cool. Yeah. So they know everybody, and they have this huge slate. And I said, we could do YouTube alongside these courses and that would be huge so we're coming along and being the packaging we're everything outside of the filming um so it's a very unique partnership that i like i said i try to talk every brand out of youtube because i think <laughs> they don't realize how hard it's going to be yeah how long it's going to take but this was the one case that it actually made sense the full picture just because they already had the team already had the filming they already had the the athletes the um, the promo all in place so they just need the packaging YouTube titles, thumbnails, intros, all the stuff that we've done for 18 months now on our own. So, uh -huh. so yeah, Petzl, Petzl saying they want to get into YouTube. I'd say there's a long list of things to do before we get to that point. Okay. Okay. And to be fair, I mean, they already have some great, you know, collaborations with content creators and stuff. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's, let's focus on Instagram then, since that is king and that's where you think people should invest most of your time. I was planning to tackle how to grow on Instagram, how to grow on YouTube, how to grow on TikTok. But I think with the time that we have left, let's just focus on Instagram. Um, lead by example here. So how do you want to do this? Should we talk about how to grow on Instagram generically, or do you want to use the nugget as a case study example and talk about that? What What would you rather do? Let's, let's do nugget, and then we can maybe spring off that and use that starting place. Because I think yeah, I already have a decent amount of thoughts on that. Okay. Yeah. So I'll start, I'll share a little bit of, of context and uh, share my growth journey on Instagram for people listening. And then we can talk about recommendations that you have for me. So yeah, for the first year or so, I was managing it myself. First year and a half, yeah. I was managing it myself. At first, I was posting twice a week. I was posting once to let people know, here's this new episode. And then I was posting a second time to say, here's this cool photo of this athlete who I had on the podcast this week. Here's a quote or like some sort of context. You know, here's the photo that we talked about in the episode or here's that cool climb that they did that we talked about or whatever. I was posting twice a week. And at about the one year mark, I can't remember how I stumbled into this, but I stumbled into some account that was sharing advice for how to grow on Instagram. And the number one thing was just regularity. And I realized, okay, this is a cool tool. This is where the climbers seem to be. This is where, most importantly for me, my guests are most likely to talk about the episode that they did with me. You know, they're most likely to reshare it in a story or a post and say like, hey, I did this interview, check it out. And that was super helpful. I really noticed that that was helping the podcast grow. So it, it made sense to invest in that. 
So for the next six months, I decided I'm going to post every day. And I did it myself. And of course, I have the um, the advantage of having all of this great content to pull from because every time I have a new guest on, I have them send me a bunch of photos and I can just post about them for the entire week. Um, I don't have to generate the content myself. But I was writing all the captions and organizing the posts. And even, you know, there's auto-scheduling tools and stuff. I was using an auto-scheduler. I mean, it crushed my soul. I hated doing it. It ate up like a full work day a week. It was like an eight to 10 hour work day for me to do this because I'm slow and it just, yeah, it was just painful. I hated it, but it worked. I think I went from like 2,000 to 5,000 followers in that six months. And then I connected with Stevie. I realized, you know, I was considering outsourcing some of my work and it finally occurred to me like, this is my pain point. This is what I hate doing. There's got to be someone out there who's better at it than me, who enjoys it more, et cetera. And I found Stevie. We've been working together for the past year, and she has helped me grow um, in large part with your advice, actually. Like she's learned a lot from you about making reels and things. And I think our new strategy, our latest strategy um, was your idea. And I'll talk about that in a second. But we've grown, um, we grew about, 5,000 more followers over the next nine months or so from, from five to 10 K. And then we've grown another five in the last 90 days. And now we're at like 15.2 or something, um, which is awesome. So what we're doing now, and I think this was your idea is we're posting every day. So seven posts a week, sometimes eight, and it's a combination of branding posts, which are, here's the nugget. Here's the episode this week. Here's some brand colors. You know, if you look at our feed, it feels cohesive. Um, I hired a buddy, Trevor, who's a great designer to do the branding and help me with brand colors and things like that. He made some great templates for us. So a couple posts a week that have the brand colors and tell you what's going on with the podcast. And then a couple value add posts like the weekly nugget and some other quotes and things that are hopefully helpful to people and provide great value outside of the the podcast. So whether you listen to it and you find the summary helpful or whether you didn't have a chance to listen to the episode this week, you know, we're providing helpful content packaged differently in this really concise way. And then the rest of our posts, which is three or four posts a week, are reels that are a thousand percent designed to try to be as viral as possible. Like that's the whole purpose is to try to get new uh, new followers and new listeners, hopefully. And that combination has been great. I mean, it it provides value for people that are already following and helps them stick around. Um, it lets people know what's going on with the podcast and we're reaching a lot of new people and it's working really well. So that's where we're at. And uh, leading into this conversation, just as a, a thought experiment to selfishly help myself, but also I knew it would just generate some interesting thoughts from you in this conversation. I had asked you, what would you tell me to do if my goal was 100K? Like, what would it take for me to reach 100,000 followers? Because in my mind, I mean, that that doesn't even feel important, honestly. That just feels like a ludicrously high number. Um, it's hard for me to even believe that there's that many people out there who <laughs> would be interested in the podcast. Maybe I'm totally wrong. I would love it if you could prove me wrong. Um, but it's just it's just crazy. It's just a crazy number. And I knew that that would generate some ideas that I haven't even considered yet. So anyway, I'll give you the floor. I'd love for you to just give me some recommendations from your perspective, what we should do moving forward. 
Well, let me summarize you for now. (laughs) That was great. And I think you just summarized so many brands should be listening. So many people and creators and everybody. It's a balance of three things. Viral content. You have to reach new people. If you don't create content that you know is optimized. The struggle is most people don't know what optimized is. But once you know what that is, then viral content. Maybe we can circle back and talk about optimized content. Yeah, please. Yeah. Talk about that. But yeah, just viral value and brand. Brand, you always have, there has to be something you want to tell people. This is something we're working on more. Everyone should have a CTA strategy. It's a call to action strategy. What are the one to three things that you want people to know? And how do you keep putting those in the feed? Otherwise, you're just growing a following with no direction, no, nothing you're pointing people to. This goes back to the funnel, I guess. Yeah. And for examples, for for me, that would be number one is check out the episode. Check out this week's episode. Go listen to the podcast. That's number one. Number two would be check out this cool shit that we're doing on Patreon, the bonus content, the follow-ups. Yeah. Those are basically the only two that I use regularly. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. Yeah, totally. So if you're a brand, think about, you should clearly be able to say, every week we are posting something that is viral, something that is valuable, something that is related to the brand for our CTS. Um, that could be stories, that could be feed, but that is kind of the building blocks of a strategy. So, all right, now into, now into the nugget and 100K because I found this great. And like I said, I talked to a few people about this. So this isn't quite off the cuff, but um, we put maybe 30 minutes of thought into this. So my brain, as soon as you said it was, there's two factors into growing really um, that I think about is post frequency and content selection, value, quality, I don't like to say quality because it's so objective, uh, subjective. So post frequency or selection. So I went to frequency first. I said, okay, how do you guys post more than once a day? Because most people think if they post more than once, they'll, or even if they post once a day, some people think I'm going to overwhelm my following. It's going to feel, they're going to unfollow. Totally. I have that feeling a hundred percent. I want to push back so hard on that because, Mm. so we post three times a day. And I at first had that thought, but you got to think about what Instagram's job is. Instagram's job is not to show you everything that everybody you follow post. Their job is to show you the best stuff. And I like to think they're pretty good at that. They're not <laughs> the best, but yeah. um, if you put out two pieces of content, the people who really love you will see both pieces and they're going to be okay because they really love you. And they're getting two great posts. One's maybe a valuable and one's a viral. I don't know. So if they want it, they'll see it. If they don't want it, I'm going to trust Instagram to not show us that. That's kind of my, that's my basis on if you post three out, it's not really three. It's only three for the people that want there to be three. Mm. Otherwise it's one because, and then it's even better for that person because they'll get the best one of the three. Right. The algorithm knows which one they're going to be most interested in. So they're only seeing like the highlights The yeah, gotcha. Exactly. And it's like, wouldn't you want them to test three posts and the people that are only mediocre only a little interested well don't you want them to just get the best post of the day like that's what i want so when i think about it that way it becomes more like okay try to distill like it's not i say you're not making an issue unless you go above three i say think about it before going over three i think that's it might be too many because then maybe you're getting two even if you don't want to because you just have instagram has four to show you so anyways that's it's kind of an arbitrary number but yeah up to three don't feel don't be stressed you won't see two, you won't see an uptick in unfollows. Um, and again, monitor comments. People will message you. People will comment if they really have an issue. Um, 
I have not seen that on any accounts though, that we've gone past one. Like I've never seen a, oh my goodness, you guys are posting again. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, right. Again, again, I would take that more as an issue with the content than an issue of the post frequency. That means you're probably, that means, oh, I got this post and I'm disappointed that it was this much worse than everything else in my feed. Like, honestly, that's what that feedback should be. Not we're posting too much. It's, oh my goodness. Okay. This was not a great post because this person really didn't like it or didn't follow for this. So all that to say, post frequency is my first thought right now. You guys have one guest, one guest a week. You can't do my first thought was, okay, what if you doubled the amount of content you did with them? Okay. But if you shared 10 clips of Magnus, would people be very psyched on that? And I said, mm, I don't know about that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> one week. Yeah. So, so then the natural next step was, okay, I still want to get you to two, two posts because that's the only way you're going to, that'll be a huge quantifier. No, what am I trying to say? That's like a, that's a quantum leap is, is doubling our post frequency. Post frequency is one of the biggest factors. Okay. Those two. So it's like, I'm trying to see how you get to two. And then my natural next step was, okay, well, what if you did two podcasts a week and you had two different guests and now you can post the same amount of content per guest, but now you're reaching two times more audiences and you're able to put out twice the content and you're not, again, you're not overwhelming people because it's the same amount from each person. So that's one way you could post more. The other thought that um, someone on a team had was throwback content. There's mm. so many episodes. You could forever be doing throwbacks to old episodes because if you just follow, you don't know what episode 12 was or 15 or 16. Yeah. So you could handpick the best guests to remind people of. And honestly, you could almost like, you could have that two or three posts a week could be throwback because I think there's just that. Because I think you could do a Magnus throwback now and then three months ish later, you could do another Magnus throwback mm. reminder. Cause mm. again, it's not going to reach everybody. And if it's a good episode, uh, just think of the content for you, especially, I think you have a gold mine chance. Like when you said hundred K you could honestly get there way faster than you think because so much content is relevant to you. Um, another thing we think about with brands is brand relevant content or content pools. We like to call them like pools of content. What is your source? Is it athletes? Cause if we share something of it, if La Sportiva shares something of a La Sportiva athlete, that's brand relevant post. No one's going to be like, why are you posting this dyno? It's like, well, this is our athlete. We want to show the cool things they're doing. Um, same thing with Sportiva might be like all their product stuff. New product comes out. That makes sense to obviously talk about. Um, so it's always, or their community, people that love Sportiva. Here's a cool route they did using Sportiva. It's allowed me to do this cool con. That is relevant. So with you guys as the nugget, every single guest you have on is a huge, massive pool of relevant content. So you should never run out of content because every, everybody, or this also would go into the guests you pick. So let's say you're doing two guests a week in this, this fantasy world of the path to hundred K you're doing two guests a week. Maybe one guest is, you know, like Sam who has almost no content on himself and maybe you'll fall. <laughs> <laughs> that is a terrible, it's not going to grow your following, but then to align that, you're going to go that same week. You're going to have Magnus on mm. and you know, so now you have a balance of like, okay, maybe Magnus is going to be your, your viral content. And you just, now you're, now you're balancing who you're thinking about as guests as well, because your guests are your content sources, which yeah. as much as you want a good content, you want a good podcast experience. You don't want to just have, I don't know. You don't just have like power lifters. I don't know. Something that would be like something crazy on just because he's like, I want the content. The podcast has to be good, but thinking about people as content pools 
would be a shift, I would suggest. Yeah, I think that's really, really interesting, actually. And I've seen that. I mean, like, I love to have some of these... I don't even know what to call them. I, I like to have some of these conversations that are really far from the from the mainstream. You know, like like Carol Simpson's a great example. Uh, I loved my conversation with her. She does not have a big content pool, you know, and she's not well known because she's a seventy seven year old climber and yoga teacher from California. You know, she's. But I loved that conversation. So I I want to I want to keep those. But I hear what you're saying, and I think balancing that is a really cool idea. Um, just to give you feedback on where I'm coming from, I don't think I can do two podcasts a week. I think I would die. <laughs> I think um, doing one main episode a week plus the occasional follow-ups, which I sometimes do two of a month, sometimes it's one a month, um, that's that's about as much as I can do, and I like that. I like that yeah. balance. Um, so that gives me five or six episodes in a month to work with. But I, I think I'm... I'm feeling a strong resonance with your second idea, which is the throwbacks, because I mean, like you said, we could go back and look at all of our guests. I mean, I've done 130 episodes and pick all of the, all of my favorite climbing videos that they've made and all my favorite reels that they've done, all the cool, you know, the, the coolest training footage, the most mind blowing training footage that they have, just compile a huge catalog of those and sprinkle those in. Um, because it is interesting. Like I, I hadn't really anticipated this challenge, but you're totally right. Like I, one thing I'd never thought about was the extent to which episodes just get buried. Um, cause I really try to make my episodes at least somewhat evergreen, you know, sometimes they're topical and we're talking about specific climbs that people have done recently and they feel timely, but like I just did a follow-up with Jonathan Segrist and in prep for that, I went back and listened to his episode, which I think was like episode 13, I think it was 14. Um, wow. But that's only two and a half years ago, you know? And I listened to it and I was like, this is totally relevant still. Like he's talking about training for 15B and a lot of his ideas are things that like at the time I was really excited to try and I had just forgotten about. And I listened back and was like, oh yeah, I'm actually going to start doing that exercise tomorrow in my training routine because I, I remember thinking that would be really cool to try and I just never got around to it. Anyway, I'm learning that it's a rare person that discovers the nugget in 2022 and goes back and discovers some of my favorite old episodes because they're just, I mean, it takes a long time to scroll through the entire feed and to catch up on everything. And it's, it's just tempting. I think it's just this kind of um, typical psychology that we just assume that things that are older are worse or less relevant or outdated or whatever. But in the case of, you know, a two-year-old conversation with someone, a lot of that stuff is still great, I think. Those are still some of my favorite episodes. So um, so that, that kind of accomplishes two things in one. It gives us a huge content pool and it reminds people like, hey, there's all these great episodes that you might have missed, you know, because something interesting's happened just in the last like few months, I've started to get requests for people that I've already had on the show. <laughs> and that's a brand new thing. You know, someone will reach out and be like, you should have like this happened. Someone, uh, I think Brittany Gores sent the salad a wall and someone was like, you should have Brittany on the podcast. And I was like, I've had her on twice. <laughs> I did a, I did an episode and a follow up with her like, you know, two years ago, but two years ago, they're, they're buried now. So anyway. Yeah, no, I think I think that shows you. And I would even argue that there's some value in that. You can use a viral content piece 
and you can match it with the reminder. The reminder in my sense is valuable. Like you just said, people won't know, oh my, you talked to this person two years ago and it's just as applicable. Because my thought always with, when you're sourcing content and resharing content, the question always should be asked by the audience is the subliminal, the unthought question is, why are you posting this? And you have the amazing reason why is you're reminding people, hey, there's this person that does this cool thing and you saw the cool thing. Do you want to listen, hear more from them? It's not intrusive or like it is value add, if anything. Mm -hmm. So that's why, um, and you have such a library. The other thing I would do is the Steven focus posts. This was something else we talked about. It's like your people care what you're up to. And there's gotta be and some balance of that as well could be mixing in. How do you get to more content? Like we said, you can only do five about the guest. Even that might be too much depending on their content pool. Um, I'd be mixing in these two throwback, Steven focused. And my pushback to you saying you couldn't do two podcasts is I would just push back and say, okay, well, what's the real reason you can't do two podcasts? Is that because you don't have someone reaching out to guests, prepping it? That would be my pushback is that there's probably, or you just don't want to, which is totally fine. This is the the fake world of speed to 100K. That would be my next question. You can do it for sure. It's not that much time if you knocked out, chunked out the other things you could outsource. But yeah, that's fair. No, that's, I'm glad you said that because that's actually calling me out on my bullshit because I'm always challenging people to challenge their assumptions, you know, challenge their self-limiting beliefs. And here I am saying that's the most I could possibly do. You're totally right. If I had someone helping me with outreach, with prep, uh, maybe with podcast editing on the back end, I mean, I could certainly interview two people a week. I don't know if I want to. I don't know if that feels... I think that would compromise my enthusiasm a little bit. And I would worry about that. You know, I want to feel excited for every conversation. And I think that should have been my first question. To be honest, when you said 100K, the first question should go, when? Because that mm. changes the whole equation. Because if you said in a year or two years or five years, I'd be like, you're doing more than enough. You're, you're fine. If you said by the end of the year, I'd go, Okay, so three posts a week is what we're looking at. How do we get to three? <laughs> That's like, that, so it just depends on when. Wow. Okay. Let me, I have a question for you. I think this is really important, actually. Yeah, I think this is a really important question. So thinking about this scenario where I really like this idea of collecting a back, you know, a big catalog of great content from people in my back list. Um, what is the word for that? My backlog. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, collecting a big catalog of content from those people. It seems like common practice. I mean, so to give a little more context, I always ask my guests for some photos to share. And I always ask them if it's okay if I reshare their content from Instagram. So I've covered, I've covered my bases there. Usually that's, you know, face-to-face -face at the end of our interview or that's in an email, whatever. But I have had it happen where the guest gave me permission to share something and they didn't check with the photographer or the videographer. And then the photographer or the videographer got pissed off at me for sharing their photo without their permission. Because, you know, maybe I didn't even know who the photographer was. So that can happen. I want to be respectful. I really want to value and respect other creators, you know, even pay them if I can afford to, things like that. So when it comes to resharing content, 
what are the best practices? I mean, are you, because you guys do this a lot. You're always, you're, you're basically curating the most viral, the collection of like the most viral content on Instagram related to climbing and sharing it all on one page. That's what Climbers Crag has become. Yeah. So are you getting permission from every single one of these people about every single one of these posts? Talk me through that process and the best practices there. Yeah, that's a great question because if you could imagine the nightmare of messaging every single before every single post and waiting for an approval, you'd be like, oh my goodness, how do you even do this? So what we do is we have approved lists, approved and denied lists that we're building over time. And once you, like you like you are with a guest, I think you're the right. Is it fine if we share content that you posted before? Yes, no, yes, all right, we're, we're good. Now you're on the approved list. It's not a message every single time. Mm. Just from a from our logistical point of view, I think that's, it seems like a nightmare. I don't want to, right. it seems very efficient to always message and they're on a trip and they're not going to see your message. It's not that they're going to say no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It hasn't been so yeah, it's just a logistical nightmare for sure. Yeah. We just build a huge, huge approved and denial list. The denied list to just give you context is very tiny, less than maybe less than my hand. I can count the people that have said, no, don't share. Mm. So, and as opposed to hundreds and hundreds on the approved. Right. I, I don't think I've had a single athlete tell me no. I think I've had maybe two people say like, please check with me first about a specific post because it should be a win-win, right? Like if I'm resharing their content and pointing people towards our episode, if it's a pro climber or even a recreational climber who I had a great conversation with, for the most part, they're psyched. You know, they want more people to listen. They want to help people. Um, it helps them with their professional climbing to have their name out there more things like that so it's it's kind of a win-win hopefully especially when you come in and hopefully you're re-editing or optimizing their content this is something we find is there we've seen this several times where um, an athlete will post a video and it gets maybe a couple thousand views and we come along similar following we've done this with brands and we've re-edited optimized but it gets five ten million views with their name very clearly crediting it's like it's so yeah, in my opinion, it's a very clear win-win. And that's why I don't stress too much about it, honestly, because like we have a system, it's pretty simple. Like if you want to be no, that's fine. I'm, but it, it's almost always yes. And it makes sense for it to be yes, in my opinion. So okay. that's my, that's my recommendation out there for, so especially with like if athletes or anything like that, just get a one-time yes and you're good. They okay. can come back to you if they make it, make it very open, make it have an easy way for them to bring up if they're concerned or, um, and I think the, the bummer is the photographer thing. Sometimes it, it it's really hard to know where it comes from. And right. like I've talked to photographers before and they say when they give stuff to athletes, they assume it's just going to be everywhere. Like right. you kind of, you kind of have to accept And Again, I'm not a photographer, so it's kind of, I'm removed a little bit, but I've talked to them before and it's like most of them, at least the ones I've talked to, have accepted that when they give it to an athlete, it's out there. Hopefully like it should be on credit on the athlete and where it goes after that. But, but you do kind of remove yourself one step as soon as you give it to the athlete to, to mm -hmm. use so, or a brand. So take as you will, but that's kind of the, it just happens sometimes like not much again, less than my hand. I can count the times that someone's reached out and been like, I'm not tagged in this, but, um, yeah. Okay. I have two more questions about the nugget Instagram. So I really like this idea of pulling from old content, the throwback thing. I think that's great. And I think the next goal for me is to work towards posting twice a day, which I feel like 
overwhelmed just thinking about that, but I'll talk to Stevie about it. Hopefully she has the bandwidth. We'll make it happen. Anyway, I think it's a great idea. So the question is, when should we post? Does it matter? Timing. Like, you know, what time of day do you post? How far do you spread those two posts out? Because I think this is interesting. Like as someone who travels a lot and goes across time zones all the time, I'm like, it can't possibly matter that much, right? Because people are tuning in from all over the world. So yeah, what are your thoughts on uh, time of day? Yeah, time of day. Just look, everyone has, I mean, Instagram gives you the answer in analytics. So use the answer they give you. If you look, I think it's in the follower tab, you'll see at the bottom, you'll see when the most people are active. I don't think it's perfectly accurate, but I use it because it's the data that's given. And I know it doesn't matter that much. So okay. if you have a peak post, I think there's three hour chunks. So post at the beginning of the chunk. If you want to be totally optimized, the climbers crack, we post outside of our most active, but that's because we have three posts to get in and we want to have a two or three hour buffer. So more, I'd be more concerned about the spread between the posts than the time of day of the posts. You don't want to post 15 minutes apart, 30 minutes apart, an hour apart. I would say somewhere two or three hours apart at the minimum. Um, is there a maximum? They're separate, so they don't. No. Uh, then I would just say that the more maximum, though, the farther you're getting away from the active zone. So, like again, you'll see the graph on Instagram of the most active, and you will, ideally you want to get both of them roughly in that period. Got it. Okay. So you'll have one before it and one right after it, and that's the best you can do. And, and so it's like as close as you can is better. So that's why two or three hours is kind of what we go with. Again, arbitrary. I don't have the data to back that up, but. Um, we've seen adverse with it when it's been less than an hour. Um, so two to three is kind of where we've ended up. Okay. All right. And then the next question, let's talk about optimization. You mentioned that briefly. Yeah. Let's talk about optimizing posts for virality and for increasing your reach. And there's a lot of things within that. I mean, I know, I, I already know what you're going to say because Stevie has worked with you and I've seen the result. Like I've seen which reels get half a million views. And they're, yeah. they're short, they're sexy. It's, you know, Eve Gravel doing a badass V13 dyno and it's like two seconds long. And so it gets watched a hundred times by each person, you know, um, or it's, it's a crazy, you know, hangboard training thing or things like that. Um, so I have a sense of what it is, but I'd love to hear you describe it from your perspective. And then I'm also curious about hashtags. I want to talk about that next as well. Oh, but, I was going to bring hashtags up with time of day. Okay, great. I will spend 30 seconds on them. Don't focus on them. Don't focus Done. on them. Okay. Okay. Well, that, that's like, honestly, hashtags. I really think we, as you'll see, we don't, I don't even know if we use them at all. <laughs> okay. Honestly, it's that because again, Instagram's getting better at categorizing content. Hashtags, all they do is help Instagram tell it, is this climbing? Is this food? Is this Disneyland? <laughs> they just want to know hashtags because people aren't spending time on hashtags looking through them like they used to because there's a reels tab that shows them content and a suggest and there's suggested posts in your feed. So yeah, hashtags, don't worry about it. Put a few on there. If you're going to do it, just use two, three, four. Don't use more than five if you're going to do them. Okay. Um, again, every account's different. Some accounts have seen improvement by having 30, not the accounts we've seen. And in my opinion, it's again, it's not worth the effort to find the best 30 and which 30 and type them in, copy and paste them, rotate them. It's just more likely to have something bad happen because you can look, Instagram can take it as spammy. Oh, interesting. Especially if you use the same ones. There's just, I just don't want to risk it. I know there's not too much upside to have it. It could be some upside, but you're risking for sure a downside. So that's the hashtag. That's my spiel. 
hashtags. Great. Um, optimized content. The disclaimer here is it's gonna be different for everybody. Cause you gotta think about the audience of your video, your audience, the, your current followers have to engage with the content for it to do well broadly. So if you posted something that didn't do well in your, your audience, but you knew it would do really well in a broad audience, once you get to that reels tab, everybody's going to love this, uh, like campus scene, let me go campus scene of VB or something like that. Looks so easy. I don't know. Still might get likes, but your audience, but let's say it didn't do well in your core audience. doesn't matter that that would do well outside of your audience because Instagram's not going to push it more because it didn't do well. Mm, so okay. it's always, it has to do well with your audience and then it has to do well outside of the audience. And that's whatever the topic of the video is. A dyno, finger strength, I don't know, anything could be a hard boulder. It doesn't always have to be the same thing as well. Like different accounts, like uh, flash climbing, what Stevie runs. I know they have some content that's done great that would not do great on climbers I don't think. Okay. Which is totally fine, which might not do great on yours or would. So the disclaimer to all of this is it, the topic of the video still totally depends on your account. That's why always we say it takes one to three months to test and to learn what content does well. So if you're just getting into it and going hard, give it one to three months of daily posting five times a week, seven times a week, and you'll start to see what works and you can have some data. But then actually looking at the reels, it's all about exit points is the top priority is removing exit points. So these are anything I'm oh, sorry, the confused face. I thought, Steve, you not tell you about exit points? No, no, I'm, no, I'm, I just oh, think God. this is interesting because we, we haven't talked about this yet, but I, I understand that. So like if you have a 10 second video and it's boring for two seconds, you got to get rid of that two seconds. Yep. Okay. So exit points are the greatest example of these is a logo sting. It's a logo at the end of a video. You'll see this where that's a cool move. I think, oh, this is a great reel. And then fade to black, fade to logo, and then it reloops. And I go, you just killed this video. It's <laughs> a viral video. And instead, whatever brand it is, wanted to put their logo there so bad. Which, which my problem with that stuff is your logo is always in the top left corner. People are always seeing your brands. I, I think brands get a little overly like, I want my logo there and I want it there and I want it there. Just let them enjoy the content. They probably think they should, right? There's probably an element of that. Like, yeah. Yeah. But if the brand, in my opinion, it's already connected because it's probably yeah, in the top. That makes sense. Your name's right there. So, um, so yeah, exit points. And this is also a great, another great example is you do a cool move to start the, a cool sequence to start a climb. And then it's another 10 feet to the top of all, like let's just say it goes to straight jugs, like outdoor, or you top out and you have a weird, you know, top out scramble. Some people just leave the whole thing in it. And it's like, you're not going to watch that again. Somewhere during the scramble, you're going to click off and swipe and go to the next video. Mm. Instead, just show the coolest sequence, which usually is shorter. Sometimes it's still 15, 20 seconds, but usually that's three to 10, three to seven. Just show that because people want to see that again and really like appreciate it. Cause no, most times you can't fully take in a clip the first time, especially if it's something that is what we'd consider viral or like really interesting. The most times you're like, wait, what? That's almost what you want the first view to be. Mm. Wait, what? And the second view is, oh, and the third view is like, Oh, that's cool. Share. I don't know. I just made that up, but that's kind of that's my, right, that's right, my right. psychology. Is like first the the perfect clip and the one that we had. We had one hit like it was like three hundred million. One of the most viewed reels way back. <laughs> that's so insane, was, dude. Was <laughs> I know it was an unexpected whipper, and it was wait what? <gasps> and there were so many layers. She, she fell from the first. So she had one clip in. She fell. 
her foot hit the bag instead of the ground. So it was really close. So you couldn't tell if she just like broke her ankle. She didn't because there was a bag there and she almost hits her uh, Blair. It was all these things that it was four, three or four seconds. So it was boom, fall. And it was like, what? And it took you several watches to figure out what just happened and how insane. Cause the Blair even jumps up, takes some slack to save her. Like it was, it was gold content. So <laughs> no exit points. So it doesn't always have to be short with exit points, which I'd really always be watching saying, when am I even kind of bored? If I'm kind of bored, can we clip out that little section in the middle to compress two sides together? Or mm-hmm. do we just cut the video and have it loop again? So I feel like in optimization, I kind of would just leave it there. It's all about learning what videos people like in your audience from testing. Is it dynos? Is it whippers? Is it dry fires? Is it just pure hard V10 plus climbing? Because some audiences love that. Um, figure out what works. And then it's, then it's about exit points really, which is just editing. There's more editing tricks, like several things, but I think the average person can apply those two things very well. Post more often and just pay attention to what does, does well, test lots of things, and then just watch every video ruthlessly saying, can I cut out the middle? Can I cut out the end? And yeah. You kind of just answered the length question, but I'm going to ask it explicitly. Do you have guidelines on length? for viral content i'm pretty sure there's a lot of there's a lot of data around it being around seven seconds okay uh, i've seen some around 15 still hit in that 10 million plus range i would love i wish i could show the audience there's one from if you go to crimped everybody we just had one that went to 11 million that's we managed the account and it is objectively a boring video like i it's <laughs> it's the dude in his dining room on a one of those portable hangboards right yeah. And he's just spinning. He does he does a spin. He does this weird exercise where he's spinning. And it loops perfectly. So people I think people watch it several times because it looks like he's just going in circles. Uh, <laughs> okay. It is objectively boring. And I think the clip is like still, you know, 10 seconds or something. Um, but it's not the most shock. It doesn't make you go, wait, what? It just makes you go, Oh, that's cool. Huh. Oh, that's cool. I don't know. So everyone go watch it. It'll be it's an interesting example they, they don't all look the same yeah uh, I, I used to think it's whippers it's dinos it's three seconds and the more the more accounts we manage because we may now manage you know five to ten ish clients a month and you just start seeing more of these outsider cases. you're like okay maybe it's not seven seconds maybe it's not dinos and it's you're just learning more what it is which is ultimately watch time watch time and engagement so okay i guess we can break that down it's how many people engage <laughs> the post and how long they're spending i think watch time is the more important factor though are people watching it 200 percent, 100 percent, 500 percent of the time uh, most things that don't have 100 percent watch through like the average watch time um don't don't do really well okay gotcha. so that's fundamentally why if you run a 30 second reel that has several exit points it's not going to have 100 percent plus watch time okay gotcha gotcha and then um Engagement. Yeah. I think initially I thought that was just like comments and it's so much more than that. It's people saving your post to their collections. It's people resharing. It's people posting it in their stories. It's, it's all sorts of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted to add one comment. You said it's how you edit the videos and I'll just throw this out there for people that are curious. I mean, one thing that I've noticed that Stevie's done, and I think she got this from you is just changing the aspect ratio of the videos. So she'll, 
she'll take a climber's, you know, like let's say we have Magnus on the podcast, she'll take one of his climbing videos and basically zoom it in so that it fits the iPhone screen for a reel. And all of a sudden you're just watching him up close doing whatever crazy move he's doing. And it's five seconds long, you know, and it's, it's just like zoomed in action basically. Um, because those horizontal videos, most people will know this, but Instagram doesn't do full screen anymore for those, which is, I think, really annoying. But um, yeah, they just don't do as well. Yeah, and that's that's where we use a tool. It's called CapCut. It's free. We do something called motion capturing is where it you can move the screen so that the climber fits in the frame. It just creates this really dynamic. It almost is like someone's doing this, following them, or like this, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Vertical following there. Yeah, like a gimbal, basically. Yeah, and it comes off as this really dynamic filming that's perfect because you can, in post-production, you can make sure that the climber stays in frame and just gives you the sense of the movement more than a static camera will ever. So um, another thing I like to say with uh, Reels and TikTok is the angle and the way it's filmed is more important than the content. Is sometimes, I won't say exclusively, but is sometimes way, sometimes more important than what you're filming. So if you're, if you're filming a dyno and it's top down, it's now way more interesting. Even if it's a V0 dyno, okay, can't really have a V0 dyno, but yeah, it's a dyno that, <laughs> if it's a super easy dyno, but it's from the top, now you might get a great engagement because it's just different. It's more interesting. Yeah. Because people are always instantly, they're making an assessment of, have I seen something like this? Is this cool? And if you can start out with a frame they haven't seen before, a location they haven't seen before, an angle they haven't seen before, it gives them the chance of watching the video. And that's a lot of, a lot of our best stuff, I would say, or a lot of it is just from a different angle that starts out. So immediately engaging because you're just, what? Mm. I guess you're doing the what, but just by the angle, you don't even have to have cool action yet. You're just like, what am I looking at? Oh, yeah. I'm top down. Climbing always looks cooler top down, doesn't it? Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> you can see those little grips people are grabbing. Okay, I want to check in with you. I know you blocked out two hours, and we're right at that uh, time frame. Do you have to? Do you have to get out of here soon? How are you feeling? I'm just checking uh, our signal chat. Um, I got a few minutes. I would say five is yeah. Let's end at ten after. Okay. If you got something else to ask, great. I'll jump up. I'm just missing a call, but it's fine. They know. Okay. <laughs> okay <laughs> there's two of them they, they they can still chat they don't need me so yeah i mean okay i, I want to ask this question i'm curious if you have any thoughts this could be a very long discussion um but i i feel like i need to open this can of worms just because it's for me it's a little bit of an elephant in the room because i've i've talked to again i'm going back to uh climbing coaches you know who like one thing you and i've talked about is with instagram you have to play the game it's a game you know, mm -hmm. and you have to learn the rules, which is reels, and you have to play the game. And for me, I'm thinking of it as this growth vehicle and this tool to connect more people to this thing that I know is valuable, which is the podcast, which is this other content, the value added stuff, you know, and I feel good about that. But it's a little bit of a conflict point because I don't love playing the game. You know, it feels... Like I've watched The Social Dilemma. I think that's an amazing documentary and I feel conflict there. Like I'm basically using these strategies to capture people's attention. I mean, yeah, that's not basically, that's exactly what we're doing here. And I know that um, some coaches I've talked to who have great content really struggle with that. They really want to make sure that they feel authentic 
And that feel, you know, that, that really true honesty and, um, like anything other than just being really real and authentic feels icky to them. You know, they don't want to play the game. I'm curious how you think about that as someone who engages so much in this platform. Do you ever have that internal conflict? How do you think about the balance of basically trying to capture people's attention versus trying to give people value? I think that's really interesting. And would you, you know, do you have any thoughts for that person who is a coach or some other business owner who has a great thing? They have lots of value to give to the people that want it, that don't even know that they exist yet. How do you get buy-in from those people? You know, is, is it okay to just not use Instagram or, or would you, would you try to convince them that, you know, there's this other way to think about it that might make you feel less conflicted about it? I don't know. I'm throwing a lot at you, but do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I think that's, that first point needs to be emphasized really that quality. I think I said this to you and it was a good way that I said it was there's a difference between quality and success on a platform. They're not the same. You can have high quality content, whatever that means to you, highly valuable content for sure. There's lots of great content that that doesn't, doesn't get seen, but that's inherently different than successful content. Um, and the balance, the tricky part is just finding the balance and everyone's balance is different. So I don't think there's a, too much of a clear cut answer here because you really want to balance how much you want to play, how you want, you want to be successful on the platforms. And I would go back to the, the goals of it. If your goal is to put out valuable content that helps you coach more people and make the positive impact that your coaching does, which hopefully it does, or whatever product you serve, because inevitably you should be filling a need. So the fact that you could help more people with that need through social, uh, it can't be ignored like that. Mm. Oh, it goes back. Yeah. Is it worth, is it worth all the time and stuff you're putting into the valuable content? If no one's going to see it and it's not going to translate to helping more people with your services or like, why are you even there? If you're not being successful, I guess that's my question. You just don't play the game. If you don't want to do what it takes to be successful, doesn't mean that to be successful, you have to throw out your morals. You have to reach Like, doesn't mean that there's a way to do it right, but it does take work. And it seems kind of silly to put the investment in and not accept that there's a second side to this because mm -hmm. I see people that just don't even want to think about what it takes to be successful because they're just like, I'm going to make the coolest thing that's so valuable and people are going to come and they're just not gonna, mm. it's like, it's two sides to the coin. It's yeah. It just becomes a waste of time for you. If you don't factor in the successful side and sometimes people will do it accidentally. They'll not think about what's successful, but the content is so good that it will work. But most people no, I think a lot of people end up wasting time because they don't want to play the game, but then why are you even in, in the game you're just losing at the game like maybe go <laughs> like there's other things you could probably do that you could be spending that time on and maybe some people need social because i had someone tell me back before i was into into social too much they said i said oh i like digital marketing and he or i like social media and he was like that just is marketing there's no such thing as digital marketing but that has become marketing mm. and i was like oh that's a that's a good point. I look like needed now. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. If you accept that, then you, I don't know, then how do you win? How do you have a business without making a profit? I don't know. It's kind of a, it feels kind of like the same to me. Like you're going to just have a business and blatantly disregard what it takes to be successful as a business. You could, it's not going to go well, but that's, I don't know. That's yeah. 
I like everything that you're saying and I resonate with it. And I think a helpful, a helpful reframe for me has been thinking, you know, anything I do to grow the podcast is going to allow helpful conversations to reach more people. And I hear all the time from people listening how helpful these conversations are. You know, not every single person, not every single episode, but I get a lot of messages from people saying, not just like, oh, I enjoyed your podcast, but like, hey, this specific episode changed my life in this very significant way, you know? And and for me, that like, I, I don't want to say ends justify the means because it's not quite that, but it is like, I'm willing to play this game and try to, snag people's attention and draw them in to guide them towards this thing that might really help them in some significant way. And it's really funny because it's, you know, the reels, like a three to five second reel is like diametrically opposed from my mission with my podcast. My podcasts are two and a half hours long. And my hope is that they help people break down this Basically, I, I hope to extend people's attention spans, you know, like I hope to kind of undo some of the things that social media is doing to all of us with the doom scrolling and stuff like that, because uh, it's done that for me. It's helped ground me, you know, not my own podcast, but listening to other podcasts before I started one, I really was fascinated by like, how am I so engaged in a three hour conversation when I can't even read an Instagram caption that's longer than my finger, you know? Yeah. Um. So it, it's funny because, yeah, on, on this on one hand that feels on the surface like a like a moral conflict or like I'm compromising something there but my hope is that it draws people in and guides them towards this thing that I know is valuable so anyway um that's how I'm thinking yeah. about it and that's that's helped me live with the guilt I guess is what I'm trying <laughs> well and I, maybe think of one one hugely successful YouTube channel I, I talks about hiding the vegetables they're not going to say in this video we talk about how we change this dude's life they do extreme things, but then in the video, they hide the vegetables and you mm. leave going, wow, that was valuable. So in my sense, like as with the game is you're getting attention, but that's why you have value posts. That's why you have, you should have a valuable service. And that's my pushback to the people that say that is like, well, but at the end of it, the people that you're getting are hopefully they're way better because of it. Don't you want more people to get to the end? And yeah, like you said, ends don't justify the means, but they can justify somewhat of the means, some of the means. And again, it depends on what you're comfortable with. And that's, I feel like at some point I said, the quality in the game, there's still a balance. Everyone has a different balance, but I would urge everyone to raise the success side. If you're going to play the game, make mm. it more of a priority. Otherwise then go back to earlier in the conversation. Why are you doing it? What's the roadmap? If you're, if you never want to post something that's successful or geared towards success and geared towards just what you want to put out, well, then your roadmap would be much longer and much more work and probably less return. Mm. So maybe play a different game. I really appreciate you doing this, man. I, I, I've loved this conversation. It's been fascinating. And uh, I just really thank you for basically like a free consultation in this podcast call. I have a lot of, uh, yeah, I got a lot out of this. I'm excited to try some of your strategies and I hope it's helpful for everyone else listening as well. Yeah, totally. I feel... I feel like it just scratched the surface to be honest i know we could i know Talk we, about optimization and everything <laughs> i didn't tell you guys anything i'm sorry there's still so much more but. no that was that was a great start i mean like you said i think it's so common in everything in training and climbing whatever like we always want to get ahead of ourselves we always want to be focusing on like step number 99 out of 100 when we haven't done one through 50 yet you know we haven't done our due diligence and 
Um, I'm sure that's the case with a lot of people who are already trying to jump on all these other platforms and stuff. So yeah, this has yeah. been really helpful. I think this is going to help people focus on what's important. Um, do you have any final, anything we didn't talk about? Any final thoughts you want to share before I let you go? Always more to talk about, but no, I, I think it was a great conversation. Um, feel free, hit us up on email or message us on Instagram. If you have questions, like honestly, we will answer questions. We'll be helpful. We try to, I really want us to be a helpful resource and some percentage of those people make sense to be clients. Again, what's the organic next step? Sometimes it's like, let's let us handle this. You just save your time. Um, sometimes it's like, here's our 30 minute call. Here's all the answers go away with it. So mm -hmm. yeah, let us know if you have questions. I'd, again, we scratched the surface. So, Well, awesome, man. I'd love to talk to you again. I appreciate your time. And for people listening, I will link to Climbers Crag, all the things and some of the specific reels and accounts we talked about in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. So you guys can check that out. Best of luck with your Instagram and social media journeys. And we will see you next time. Perfect. Hey friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sam. If you want to learn more about Climbers Crag or if you want to see any of the specific reels we talked about in this conversation or specific content creators that we talked about, I link to all of those things in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com for this episode. So be sure to take a look at that, scroll through the links and you'll find lots of really fun stuff in the show notes for this conversation. Before you go, don't forget to check out Athletic Greens. I think of this stuff as all-in-one nutritional insurance when I'm on the road. I love it. It's refreshing and it tastes good. If you want to try it out, head over to athleticgreens.com nugget to get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Also, be sure to check out the Arcteryx film, Free As Can Be. I've watched it, I love it, and if you love climbing, I'm sure you'll dig it too. Head over to YouTube and search for Arcteryx, free as can be, or use the direct link right there in your podcast app to watch the full 31-minute film for free. Be sure to check out Grasshopper Climbing. The Grasshopper board truly is my favorite of all of the boards. It's the one I plan to purchase for my own house someday once I'm ready to take a break from van life. It's awesome. So if you're thinking about buying a board, head over to grasshopperclimbing.com to check this thing out. And finally, be sure to check out Rhino Skin Solutions. It's September, it's still hot here in the Northern Hemisphere, and Rhino's line of antiperspirant products are a game changer for climbing in warm conditions. Check out rhinoskinsolutions.com, use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next order of performance cream, dry spray, and tip juice, so you can climb hard through September. And that is it, my friends. Thank you for listening to the very end. Appreciate you guys. I hope you have an amazing week. Best of luck with your own climbing and with your social media journey. And thanks again. We'll see you next time. Three, two,